This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is a co-host who is definitely not overrated. It's Hank. That's right, I'm Hank. I am not overrated. But I have a question for you, and it's, when will you spill your beans? I know you've seen the movie, boy. Spill your beans. Shortly, I will spill my beans. I will After spill all the beans. And it's telling that I happen to talk about this movie on the overrated show. What type of beans were they? Were they bushes? Were they barbecue? Were they, they the were steakhouse? Murder beans. murder beans. That's a new flavor. Well, we're going to talk about something nobody wants to hear about. A Renee Zellweger movie, because that's what I watched this week. What? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing with your life? It just came on. Like, all these streaming channels now are set up to, to push shit on you. That one movie goes off, would you like to see the trailer? No, I don't want to see it. But, you know, you don't know where your remote is. You got to get up, and it starts playing the trailer, and you don't hit pause, so the movie just starts. And now you're watching a Renee Zellweger movie by a guy named Ray Wright and Christian Albert called Case 39. Uh, it wasn't that bad. You remember the orphan movie or the, the little movie where they adopt the girl, but it's like a 40-year-old, and she's a kid? The Midget? I don't know what it's called. The Orphan? It's not very bad. It's not this movie, Case 39. It's not that bad, but it's it's similar to that, you know, weird movie with the, the little girl. It's not a little girl. I don't remember what it's it was the called. Orphan. The Orphan. Yeah, The Midget. It's yeah, that one where you just said the title before you said, what's it called? Well, I wasn't sure. And then you didn't say anything. <laughs> So now, okay, we know it's the uh, the orphan, but it's similar to that. But instead of it being uh, a grown ass man, well, it wasn't man, but instead of it being an adult in a child's body, I okay, I've not seen the orphan, but I know this is similar to it. It's a demon monster thing. Pretty much, Renee Zellweger uh, is a caseworker who helps this little girl whose family tries to cook her in an oven. She's best friends with Ian McShane, who is doing an American accent but never says cocksucker, and that's always unfortunate. He says it so nicely. I love the way that man says profanities. He's got a great voice, either in his natural accent or when he's doing a, an American whatever. And they save the day. They save this little girl, and she's some sort of evil incarnate. Fucks up Renee Zellweger's life, uh, kills Bradley Cooper, which he deserves because he is the worst Dirk Benedict of all time. And then the movie kind of ends. They drown the little girl in a car. Spoilers. So if you're into that, you can check out Case 39. Don't remember where I saw it at all. And I don't really again last week when I start the show, I never have really a good review. Like we did uh, an M. Night Shyamalan movie last week, which I didn't even bother to assign points to. I'll give this a solid uh, two. No cold points, though. It's so weird to, to me, though. You thought, it's not that bad. But it's two. <laughs> it's two stars. Well, a two doesn't have two to be. Two out of five is bad. That's what? Well, I don't know. I would still watch a one-star movie, though. I mean, half of the, the things that we've done on the show and love career-wise are one-star movies, quote-unquote. And I, I enjoy yes, them. But they have intrinsic value above that. This it has no value. Not, yeah, it just sounds like it's just kind of like, a, you know, just a Saturday matinee waste of time. Kind of garbagey movie. Yeah, well, outside of that, I watched Willard and Mulholland Drive this week, and I didn't want to waste good time that we could dedicate to a whole show on Willard as an introduction. You know what I mean? And Mulholland Drive—that's that's something you don't talk about. In mixed company. Well, I will talk about the beans. We'll probably have a full show over at some point, which I might be completely obtuse. I am not up on my Greek mythology by any means. I saw The Lighthouse, though, and I thought it was okay. I'm not understanding the hype on it, though. Before I get into anything, I will say four stars. So I did like the movie. I th thought it was excellent. 
It's not a five-star movie by any means, though, and there will be spoilers, so, you know... Not a five-star man. If you've seen the trailer for The Lighthouse, you go, God, this looks interesting, and I wonder what happens. You've pretty much seen the movie in the trailer. There's not much, like... If you think there's going to be some crazier shit happening... No, most of the, like, the crazier shit's in the trailer. Um, It's about two men stuck on a small island with a lighthouse, and they kind of go crazy, and there's, like, there's a lot of overtures to... Uh, Greek mythology in it. See, boy, shanty bullshit. Um, Willem Dafoe, it's the role of a lifetime for him because he is just a moldy old sea captain. It takes you a good 10 minutes to really start picking up on the dialogue of what they're saying because it's in such weird New England, broken, turn-of-the-century English. So it takes a little bit to understand what they're talking about for a good portion of it, but it's just... It's really not about anything. If for people who are thinking that it's going to be like Lovecraftian, there's like some monsters. I mean, not really. There's not really any monsters. You get see some tentacles and some stuff like that, but it's those are mostly hallucinations. Or are they? It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't particularly matter. I mean, I would say personally, what I think the movie is about more than anything is man's search for meaning in the eyes of God, and they kind of view the lighthouse as almost like a god themselves. So it's like Willem Dafoe won't give him any sort of, uh, won't give uh, old Twilight Boy any sort of responsibility to the actual lighthouse. He just wants him to clean up shit because I am in the lighthouse and you haven't earned the privilege. But it's almost like it becomes this back and forth battle of wills on who has favor in the eyes of the god lighthouse and it's I mean it's it's very metaphorical and I'm into movies that are about metaphor but this one is just it's just kind of pretty much lost on me uh, the black and white photography is excellent all the acting is excellent the way the film is made all of that is really fucking top notch I mean it's some really great black and white photography but just story wise I just think it's lacking for all the people who thought the witch was kind of like overhyped for its because it's the scariest ending of a movie you'll see in years and then people go see The Witch and the ending's not particularly scary or anything it's just kind of like it's kind of heartbreaking at times and some other things but I believe I said this when we talked about The Witch but it's just a Goya painting man it's really beautiful and intricate it's probably one of the most ornate and uh, just serene endings to a horror movie I've ever seen if anything and this one ends like a painting as well so (laughs) but I mean it's it's more based on visual iconography um, as far as like actual like core story elements. It just doesn't have any. It's a whole bunch of what's in the trailer. It's them kind of arguing with each other. It's uh, them doing like acting clinics. It's it's a whole lot of that stuff. It's a whole lot of like going crazy on an island, but it doesn't get like so fucking crazy, man. I, you, you won't believe what's in this movie. And that's kind of how it's being advertised. Just like, Oh, you really like, you really need to be smart to understand this. I'm like, eh, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's all right. It made my top five of the year, but by no means is it in the number one spot. It's probably number five. Yeah. I'll, I mean, go ahead. I mean, Oh, I mean, I'll be honest with a movie like this and by because of who it's by and like Midsummer, uh, almost all of us that review or talk about movies, all the magazine guys out there. I think everybody's going to put these two movies in their top five. I've not seen it yet, but I'll go ahead and put it in my top five because the uh, trailer 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, I'm, I'm very superficial, and I like uh, the Eggman style, so I'm gonna just go ahead and. But I'm easily sold. It's so not a bad movie, but at an almost two-hour running time, it just gets a little bland at times, and the payoff just isn't there. It just doesn't have a, like a punch of a payoff at all. It's just kind of like. Because it's very confusing, the entire movie, and you don't get, like, any sort of, aha, that's what's been happening. You get none of that. It's just like, no, it's just confusing. And now it's over. Go home. Talk about it. And that works in some instances. In this instance, I don't think it works as well as they hope it will, personally. But, I mean, it's still a four-star movie. I give it that much. I'm sure I'll eventually see it and then want to come back and talk about it at some point. Which, hey, that's what this show is all about. So I can't talk about any more Renee Zellweger movies. I guess we could talk about Willard if we want to continue with the <laughs> weekly scene. Well, we can just get into what this show is about tonight. And well, just just to let the audience know, it wasn't the remake with Crispin Glover. It was the original Willard is what I watched. Just for clarification. Well, tonight's episode is. Ooh, it's uh, we're gonna have to eat some shit on this one. I know we're gonna eat a big old shit burger after people listen to it because. We're going to be picking at a lot of fatted calves of films, movies that both Hank and I feel are somewhat overrated. We have our own picks. Hank might not agree with my picks. I might not agree with his. But we've each picked three of movies that we have found that people have hyped up to an enormous extent and think they're way more important than they actually are, way better than they actually are. Not that I think any of these movies are bad. I actually think most of these movies that we're talking about tonight are pretty good generally, but I just think there's a lot of inherent problems with probably all of them, and people are just kind of ignoring those those flaws and just blindly allegiant to these movies. Uh, it's, it's one of the best movies of all time. I mean, I think we got most of these from the IMDb list of 250, the top 250 movies on IMDb. Yeah, I went by by actual voter ranking on mine, picking them. And I will say, along with you, I don't think any of these movies specifically are bad whatsoever. I actually like everything on this list, one of which I had never like seen. It's the important word, though. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't love suck it off. I'm not enamored by it. I don't love any of them. One of them I even have a fond childhood connection to who 90 percent of the audience that loves the movie has a strong childhood connection to one one movie, uh, an Academy Award winning movie. I hadn't even fucking seen. So, I mean, a lot of this is uh, I well, one of which I don't know about you, but I had to dust off one of these uh, and, and rewatch one because it's just been so damn long for me. I couldn't remember if it was good or bad. And it's a good movie, but it's a bad movie, too. I think all of these movies, though, for the most part, have hype around them. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head of a lot of it has to do with childhood nostalgia with some of them. And just ultimately, like living with a movie, never thinking it about it again, just go, oh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. How, how many times you watch it? Well, maybe twice. Twice? Okay, so, I mean, you haven't gotten into... You gotta pump those numbers, buddy! You gotta get bigger numbers! It was just... I, I just think people don't really think about this stuff as much as they really need to. When it comes to, like, just historical accuracy of what's a good movie, what's a bad film, I think if you can go to buy box office numbers, like, this movie made a shit ton of money opening weekend... Well, well here's something. Matter. What else came out that weekend? Some people just want to go to a movie. I have a topic we can bring up. Have you read the whole thing about Dr. Sleep and Stephen King's statement about it? No, I have no well, idea. Appar- 
Dr. Sleep has very poor box office reviews. It's not very successful. And Stephen King has taken to Twitter a little angsty that you shouldn't judge the movie on its box office reviews. It's just not fair. And I've seen a lot of the trailers. I think the movie was handled pretty well. It's a very obvious sequel to The Shining. They made a lot of references even to the whole hotel. The ending of the movies changed from what the book is. They fit in the overlook. It's a whole big thing. I don't think it was handled poorly. I think you did a sequel to The Shining, and it's not a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and it maybe might not be successful. But Stephen King is using this platform to, you know, say, but it's it is. It's really good. Go see it anyhow. And I get it. You're selling your pitch and you you might be behind it 100 percent. But he also agreed that the miniseries by McGarris was better than the Kubrick movie. So it's all debatable. What's good? What's bad? Uh, these movies, I think everything on this list are incredibly high rated. And I don't want to, like, come off as, you know, two troll gatekeepers under the bridge, just, you know, dumping on whatever that at this point we're just. I don't know, trying to come up with something fresh and fun. Well, it's not even, it's not about gatekeeping anything. This isn't about, well, you're wrong about this. This is, I mean, this is all personal opinion shit. It's very subjective what we're talking about. But it's more to just shed new light on something that you think is unequivocally like a masterpiece when in reality it might not. I mean, think about these flaws in it. And maybe the reason you think it's a masterpiece is more due to hype than it actually is enjoying a movie, enjoying what is actually there as a piece of art. And, of course, nostalgia being attached to memories. Sometimes people have just a fondness or something, whether it's good or bad, because of fond memories or something attached to it. So I have you know, fond memories attached to Megaforce, and that movie's a pile of shit. So if that tells you anything, that I like, oh, well, Megaforce, I mean, I enjoyed it when I was a kid. Yeah, you enjoyed it when you were a dumbass kid, and it still makes you feel good inside because it reminds you of being a kid. But that movie sucks. I mean, it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I mean, I non-ironically enjoy Biodome. It's not for any other reason outside of I really liked it when I was 12, and I really like it at 30, so it's the way the cookie crumbles. Where do you want to get started? I mean, we've got—I I feel in total we both have three movies that we uh, painstakingly picked scrolling through the IMDb list. We both wore our thumbs out scrolling up and down for three long days and three long nights until we compiled this list. But I think it's a pretty firm and not super judgmental list. I obviously pulled a punch with one of mine, an old favorite that I'm going to bitch about, but I picked we'll get to that. that- are universally loved and people are going to go, you're a fucking idiot. So, I mean, we're going to get grilled on this regardless of what we do. I mean, yeah, I was really interested by your, your picks. I'll start it off with a movie that again, I think is a pretty decent movie. Although this one is probably one of my least favorites on this list. And that movie is scream. So light the fucking torches and come after us like fucking Frankenstein. Scream is not that great of a movie. It's How many people are going to get mad over Scream, though? I mean, unless we have a lot of Darcy the male girl fans, it's I mean, and all understand people who are like 28 and 30. Oh, my God. This is one of the greatest horror movies of all time. I, I know. I know all those people. I, 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 I deal with them and I completely understand. But it's, again, something you brought up at the very beginning of the show, like two seconds ago, that memories and and time errors are attached to things but how many times have you watched this movie this is one of the movies i had to dust off because i haven't seen it since last century i've always defended scream when we brought it up on the show and i I mentioned to you recently man i was kind of wrong if it was still 1996 this movie would be so banging but gosh darn it's 2019 and it's just not anymore it is incredibly dated the greatest part of scream is matthew lillard and henry winkler 
I will. Okay. Here's the thing about Scream. Yes, it like it started questions about horror films. It was like poking fun at the tropes in like most 1980 slasher films. I get that. Not the first time it happened because it happened before in a movie called Evil Laugh. They did it in a uh, segment of a. Um, like a weird skit movie that Troma put out called Your Discretion Advised. They're like, they have like brought out these tropes in other horror movies before. So it wasn't even that fresh of an idea. But granted, none of those movies were in the public consciousness. But at least, I mean, this got major release and people started, oh, yeah, the final girl, all these different things that it brought to people's attention. All that's important. The well, infamous find, rules. What I find interesting is they state all these rules and proceed to just do those rules the entire movie. I mean, you guess you can say that's the point, but I don't understand It's like why. Deadpool. You know, it's trying to break those rules. As you're like, here's what we're going to be fucking with, but they don't fuck with anything. They just make a, what I think overall is a mostly bland and boring slasher film that has almost no violence or sex or anything of interest in it other than a murder mystery. You do get a Rose McGowan with hard nipples, but it kind of reminds me now rewatching it after many years of like the Deadpool movies, because, you know, Ryan Reynolds looks at the camera, says, fuck, he's edgy. He breaks the fourth wall. And that's the somewhat cleverness that you're working with here. It's just that I don't know. It's the same level as cleverness that Kevin Smith works with. So it's very, very dangerous. And, you know, I don't mean that as a dig in any sort. If I'm still into Kevin Smith and I think he's funny and I still think Scream is a tolerable movie, but by no means does it live up to one time watch. I think it's a one time watch that has spawned. It doesn't have any rewatch value intrinsically. It's sequels are ridiculous. It's use of Nick Cave is pretty nice. And for when it came out. Uh, if you were a normie, I think it was very, very cool and very, very shocking. And maybe that's an insult to the people that still like it now. But, you know, people like you were watching Fulci, were into Grindhouse, were really exploring things that were coming out in the late 90s and were being, you know, like uh, the Beyond was being put out in circulation for the first time, I think, ever in the same era that Scream came out. So there are two spectrums of what was going on. And Scream was the really normie thing. I mean, fucking Skeet Ulrich is the lead. Skeet Ulrich is your villain. That's that's the bad. Matthew Lillard's somewhat believable. He puts on a fucking earnest performance anytime he he's on screen. Matthew Lillard's pretty great. But Skeet Ulrich is your fucking villain. And I mean, why couldn't Cotton Weary was such a better character to work with? And they try to bring him back. It's tied to Wes Craven so hard. Like, I mean, Wes Craven, he just keeps reinventing himself as a director. It's like Wes Craven. The fucking janitor's name's Fred, for Christ's sake. He and didn't even want to make this movie. He did it so he could make a drama for Miramax called Music of the Heart with Meryl Streep. And they Which wouldn't let him direct good. that movie unless he, like, threw his name on the slasher films. Like, okay, I'll make this if I get to do this. So he agreed to make it. So Wes Craven, I know, like, after, like, you know, 20 years after it, he was like, yo, the scream is very important. Well, at the time, he just thought it was another dumbass slasher film that he didn't really want to have a part of. So I just find that interesting that that myth has changed, that Wes Craven is now like, whoa, look how brilliant Wes Craven is. It's like, well, it's really down to Kevin Williamson's script more so than Wes Craven. And the movie is shot like shit. It's boring as fuck looking. You can tell Wes Craven didn't really give a shit when he was. It looks like an Aaron Spelling production. 
Well, it has a lot to do with the casting too, and I will say this: that the, the character. Well, no, I just mean how it's oh, filmed. Oh. It looks like you know a, a oh, spelling thing. I mean, you've got pretty much his cast of people on television at the same time, but it just has such a flat, dumb look to it. And you don't even—you're about forty minutes into the movie when you realize again, oh wait, they're high schoolers. Well, and you start—you forget, like, why do they keep going to a high school? All these people are clearly in their mid twenties, and yeah, you know, they don't even bother giving that feel to it. Like with Twin Peaks, for example, at least you kind of recognize they're supposed to be high school kids they play off something somebody doing homework maybe cheer squad but it just seems like a very odd group of 20 somethings well a lot of people always go to the nev campbell thing of but she had sex and she doesn't die sex and death have never been that linked in slasher films so that is a complete misnomer i mean think about and the point too well, I think like, they're trying to break their own rules with there are no rules. You know, you never know what's going to happen because the virgin doesn't blah, blah, blah. The, I mean, I think it all is connected but to that happened uh, in slasher films way before that. Yeah, but I think they're just connecting it to Jamie Kennedy's whole speech when Matthew Lillard backs out of the room and does the I'll be right back thing where he actually tells the whole list of what you can and can't do and does the final girl thing. Because Matthew Lillard's yelling like, I just want to see Jamie Lee's breasts. And he corrects her that you don't get that till trading spaces, places in 1983 and blah, 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 blah. Fucking quote and scream here. I'm sorry. Wouldn't it be more interesting, though, like if you're really going to try to fuck with these tropes, like maybe have a final boy instead or like really kind of play with people's expectations. But they don't. They just kind of like poke at those expectations going, eh, we're kind of going to do the same thing anyway. I mean, in Friday the 13th, Alice was fucking Steve. Jenny Curtis was, like, trying to get a boyfriend. She wasn't so virginal. She was smoking pot. Like, when was it ever, like, the virgin never, like, Night of the Demons? Even she got fucked, I think, at one point. Like, they mentioned it, like, she was having sex with Vinny and that. Like, there was, the final girl was never so virginal, as people pointed out. I think that's just a misnomer that was passed on through word of mouth over the years. Like, not really. I mean, a lot of women in horror films have sex and still are the hero. And just the way Nev Campbell runs away from the killer. I mean, if you're really going to play with those tropes, really fucking play with them. I think they just kind of cop down on a lot of stuff. I think for the 90s, they played with them as much as they could, but there wasn't a lot of creativity behind this. And as you mentioned, Wes Craven didn't really give a shit going into it. So it's like I said, it's kind of like an Aaron Spelling production. It doesn't have any real feeling to it, which is funny um, being reminiscent and, and remembering, you know, seeing this when I was younger and really, really enjoying it. Now I'm starting to realize, you know, was it so much scream or did I think Nev Campbell was hot or did I really like the soundtrack? There's a lot going on. It's incredibly dated. And if you're reminiscent and love the 90s, yeah, sure. Go ahead and throw this in. You'll probably still enjoy it. Now that I've seen Scream this century, I don't know. I'm probably good to the next one. Well, and you can go through the rest of the Scream sequels because after the initial I'd rather not shock of or if you want to call it shock of Scream and just kind of how it played with these tropes. And then you look at all the sequels as like. They made the same movie over and fucking over again. No, which is the same movie, and it's boring more and more each time you see it. It's just like this is just getting ridiculous. So, how long does Jamie Kennedy live? How does he go to he part lives, three or two? Nah, just to the second one. Oh, that's a shame. And then, so Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell—they live the whole time. Uh, yes. Because Cotton Weary comes back, and he eventually is killed, isn't he? In the third one, I believe. Mamma Mia. Well, uh, you know, 
the spinning wheel really spins with the Scream series. There's so much more we could get into. Like, we could do a Saw Scream series, Scream Off, bad movie off, jerk off. Kevin Williamson eventually got into what he was best at, which was writing, like, teen soap opera stuff, like Dawson's Creek. I I think he's really good at that, and I think that's, like, what Scream is mostly about is this teen drama bullshit. It's not particularly a well-made horror film. Well, it doesn't have... incidental to the rest of the story that's going on. Yeah, it doesn't have a, a flowing point or message that's served. So you find out, okay, I hate having to say it, but spoilers if you haven't seen Scream. You find out Sydney's mother was, quote-unquote, a whore and slept with Billy's father, and that's why she ran away, and that's why Billy has been doing all this. So the entire movie, you've got this whole thing of, it's the millennium, we don't need a motive, motives are overrated, motives are stupid, and then you get this whole fucking speech at the ending that delivers the clear motive. The Stu character, played by Matthew Lillard, who is the only hysterical breath of fresh air outside of Henry Winkler and his, what, like, fucking eight seconds of, I don't know, maybe a minute, minute and a half on-screen time. Uh, he has no motive. He's just the friend that's helping. He's the true psychotic. He's the scary person in the series. Then they follow through even more with the tropes of Billy coming back, getting shot in the head. Boom, it's over. Let's end the movie with Gail doing her blah, blah, blah after her cameraman gets his throat. It just, it's loose. It's stupid. It ends like a Lifetime movie. It's got that... I don't know, grainy quality that you're watching it with your fucking grandmother sick after school. It's just not as pleasant as it used to be. But it, that happens. You know, you you have these very fond memories of certain movies and certain feelings attached to them. And then you watch them 20 years later or however many years later. And it's just a hit or miss that maybe when I was 15, I might have felt more into this. I still stand by the fact that you're Billy Loomis and I'm Stu. I mean, well, it's pretty apt if you go back to scream and really not that we kill critical eye you can see how sloppy of a film it is that it's high on concept but ultimately very sloppy if you compare it to something like get out which a lot of people think is comparing apples to oranges it's not what makes get out such a good movie is that fucking script that script is so goddamn tight everywhere and scream script as tight as people say it is like it's not it's not at all it's very very sloppy at times and it's I like a people pseudo- ignore it because it's just well no it, it was very important so just ignore all the the problems it's like nah, it's full of problems it's like pseudo hitchcock cleverness though it's not i mean like get out is a, is a great comparison because from the anytime something is shown or given to you in the movie, it comes as a plot device, like the rule of using a gun. If your gun is shown in the movie, it's going to be used in the movie. Absolutely everything comes into play with Get Out, and it's it's perfect, and Scream has that same comparison, but all of them are just dumb tropes that you can see right off the bat. The red herring with the dad, he's disappeared. They can't find his name at the hotel or get in contact with him. Billy's cell phone isn't cleaned up. Then you have our Billy's cell phone isn't the one making the calls. Then you find out at the end when Nev Campbell asks... What, who'd you use your phone call on? And, oh, oh, they're finally figuring it out. No, we figured that out in the scene where he makes his phone call and you're back at the house. Like, it wasn't a whodunit. We weren't playing a game of fucking Clue here. It was kind of obvious to tell. So they took, like, just these normal things, like, you know, like Alfred Hitchcock. Who, you don't know who it is. There's so many cooks in the kitchen ideas, but it wasn't clever. It wasn't new. It's a horror film for people who don't like horror films. And specifically yeah, for, for normies, as I cruelly. Because said. like, even when you get to the, the body displays, there's nothing creative or strange about it. It's almost like all this stuff is almost incidental. Like 
a slasher film where the slasher is running around, and it's an okay costume. I'll give it. it came well, how many body displays do you really have? I mean, you've no, got they're bland. Yeah, you've they're got just, Drew. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You've got Drew Barrymore at the beginning, and her her boyfriend, and both of those are are so quick. Drew's is awful. I mean, it, it's a mannequin hanging there that they painted to look like her, and then at the end, you've just got the the party victims, and the you got a good throat slit that shows for a couple they're seconds. All throat but, slits. That's yeah, the so, thing. Like a, a fucking hunting knife is your weapon. It's just, it's just. Well, so also, like, I don't know if you get the vibe. Anemic. But the movie is supposed to take place in a small farming community, and I, I felt always it was like the fucking Beverly Hills. You know, I, I didn't think it feels like a backlot to me. Everything felt yeah. like a, like the fucking Universal backlot. It did not. But that's like your hunting reality. knife. You know, that's what it's a small southern town. It's farmhouses. I've never seen farmhouses that look like that. I'm sorry. Those are fucking million dollar complexes. Suck my dick. That's not a quaint southern farmhouse. Well, like, okay. Compare this to something like uh, The Mutilator, which is not the best 80s slasher film. I mean, it's really a kind of a. Not bad, though. It's not the worst. But, like, it's interesting. At least the kills are interesting. At least things happen in it, like, that make it a little bit more interesting to watch. Oh, that's fun. And nothing in Scream is particularly fun at all, I don't think. That's a valuable point you bring up, though, and that's something that drove specifically in the 80s slasher movies is a, a movie would come out and the next movie had to one up the violence one up the kills something more creative you know not comparing it completely to Saul but at least those movies tried to change up the torture each time Scream delivered absolutely nothing new especially for its decade as, as you brought up it's just knife kills I mean Drew Barrymore's is probably one of the most graphic with the, the stabbing over the chest which is a nice scene it looks alright but you want to break barriers you're just making the exact same thing here and all you did was deliver a speech with Jamie fucking Kennedy about rules and that doesn't define anything you didn't do anything to make your movie uh, outstanding you know this was the beginning of let's forget about what makes horror films great let's take out the blood the violence and let's like start gearing them more to a teenage and when I say teenage I'm talking about 13 12 and 12 year olds not yeah that was about 18 year olds that was about the age I was so, like, you can see a downward trajectory of horror films from Scream to where, like, it became less and less about anything that people enjoyed about slasher films in the past. And it more became about, uh, let's try to get an interesting mask. And other than that, let's just, let's try to have some kind of shock ending. Well, I don't need a shock ending. I just need something interesting to happen throughout the, no, this is about the shock ending. And it all became about, I mean, like, how many movies... Like in the 2000s, in the 2000s slashers, you know, how many of those do you see, like, even a decapitation where you see something? I know the the ratings board cuts things and all that, but it's just like they stopped attempting to do any special effects. Whatever, we'll just have them get killed off screen. That's the important thing. The important thing is somebody died. It's like, you know well, what has... Slasher film fun. You know what had some okay violence was that awful House of Wax remake with Paris Hilton. That wasn't bad. That was good graphically. It's a terrible movie, but I think it's got some interesting shit in it, definitely. It's yeah. more like a remake of fucking Tourist Trap to me than it ever does a fucking House of Wax. Yeah, it really, no, I've never thought of it that way, but it really does have that feel. I have really no hate toward it, and I actually liked Paris it's Hilton. all right being herself in it. Yeah, it's nothing truly specific to write home about. So we don't uh, have a lot of nice things to say about Scream. But what do you think uh, about I Know What You Did Last Summer? It's a part of that downward trajectory for me. It's just like, let's just make these a lot more about like 
actresses and actors that are on the upswing that are handsome they're going to be taking off let's cast knowns let's stop focusing on like they took all the exploitation out of it and made it hollywoodized and the whole genre got super fucking boring it just they don't understand slasher films it became about something else completely which was a fucking teen drama and people acting like douchebags to each other because it's funny it's funny when that other character calls him gay man gay panic stuff is always funny I just like the fisherman costume. Eh, it's all right. It ain't great. Yeah. So Scream, are we rating these? Are we going to... We can rate us. Let's say Scream is probably three and a half to four stars. Probably more on lines of four and like five cult ones because it's a, it's a cult classic at this point as well as just a classic. I think I'm going to give it a solid four four. But it's sloppy. That's all. It's very sloppy, and this whole thing of it's so great, it's really not. It's not even that it's multiply disconnected or scenes don't connect into each other or there are plot holes. It's that it's so in-your-face, look how clever we are, and it's not really that clever. It's stuff that's really been done before. The tropes aren't really fulfilled outside of that party sequence with Jamie Kennedy where he you know, takes a drink of the beer, Matthew Lillard says he'll be right back, and then shit, quote-unquote, hits the fan, but it's not even a great display of shit hitting the fan. Well, I will, and if you like, if we go into the other Scream films, I will say Scream Two is maybe a three, two and a half, and they just get like the ratings get worse and worse because none of this ever needed to get repeated. It never needed the sequel. At well, that's all. the thing. Everything it lost its juice after the first one because after I saw it, it just it does not have much rewatch value at all for me because it's kind of a bland movie overall. Everything but the movie we're about to get into is part of a series, and that is a problem I want to bring up, excluding this next movie. Most of these from the startup were part of a series and were specifically made for that reason. Um, not, I'm not trying to disqualify anyone's artistic integrity, but I certainly don't think all of these movies were gone into as a, a form of motion art, that it was mostly a cop-out. And we'll get progressively into which one of those are, but whenever you're ready to move on, I've got a horse dick. Feel free, baby. Yeah, I didn't know what order I wanted to go into, and I'm just going to do the, uh, I'm going to honestly say it, my least favorite movie on this list first is 2010's Black Swan. Not, I don't hate it. I, I, I don't like hate it. Swan. Yeah, I really, really enjoy the movie. Um... I'm sorry, this... Uh, I, uh, Aronofsky? Yeah, no, I'm just trying to think of what my least favorite movie is now that I've said it, and I, I regret saying it was this one. We'll all correct... <laughs> yeah, I'll correct that later when we get to my least favorite movie. Yeah, this is Darren Afro Man, who I, I also don't hate. I'm at... I don't know. I don't dislike him, but I'm not amused. I think he is completely overrated, as is Black Swan. Black Swan is about a dancer who completely goes batshit insane as she tries to achieve her mother's dreams instead of hers and is forced and destroyed under the pressure of society. Uh, it's based on the Swan Lake musical, which is where a witch turns a woman into a swan, and essentially, uh, to an extent, that's what happens, the witch being uh, mental. Now, a lot of people believe there's a big supernatural aspect, and she actually turns into a swan, and that it's... We brought this up on the uh, Neon Demon Suspiria episode that this is like a, a remake in, in total of Suspiria. I don't see any of that. It's a beautiful movie. Natalie Portman is, is just insane. Most of her performance as a dancer actually is her. I, I don't remember the exact 
amount of shots, but the stunt dancer that performed for her had a complaint that, you know, her name wasn't featured enough. And it was actually Natalie Portman that did more or less almost all the dancing. Her performance is just gorgeous. It's a beautifully shot movie. Vincent Cassell, I like in just about anything. Uh, he got a, he did that Cronenberg movie with um, a history, but not a history of violence. What's the British Russian mafia one? Oh, Eastern Promises. Eastern Promise, yeah. He was in Eastern Promise. He's always just a class act, and, and the, so the story's mesmerizing. Uh, watching Natalie Portman slowly drip and drive uh, into insanity with Mila Kunis is uh, equally, I wouldn't say deviant, because the character's not that bad, but her performance is almost deviant. I wouldn't say quite sexual, but it's just a very diverse cast of people coming together, and it's got a weird artistic sexual tension that I just, I don't know, I just didn't see what everyone else saw. I need somebody else to tell me why this movie is as beloved as it is. And I get it. It's, it's a good movie, but what was so different? I think you might have a case that at the time it was overrated possibly, but I think at this point, I think it's leveled out. Well, I unfortunately, as many of these movies did not see it when it came out. So in my defense, I only recently saw this when we did well, the young shit about this movie when it came out. And so it's just it, it's you liked it. I, if I recall, I think it's I a great movie. I really do. I think all the performances are great. I think uh, Aronofsky is just a natural behind the camera as far as shooting goes. I'm one of the few people in this world that think Mother is a good movie. I really enjoyed Mother. And it's an up its own ass art film, just like Mother. Same thing with Black Swans, where Mother's the movie about the house with Ed Harris, right? Yes, and Jennifer uh, Lawrence playing. Uh, you, uh, you, you one day it's a crazy fucking movie. Yeah, you it's explained this movie uh, in great detail to me for about two hours one time, and I still have never seen it because you spent so much time explaining it to me. I just don't feel I need to now. It's probably one of the best uses of like a dreamlike logic shooting style to where, it, I don't know, it, it, you just have to see it. The well, way that's, it that's really between scenes is kind of fucking amazing. That's really where the, uh, I don't know, I think problems come in with Black Swan that I, I obviously get the influences and I see where it comes from and I understand what type of movie it is, but it just... I don't know. It, it's supposed to be this dreamlike, mesmerizing, insane, beautiful piece and I sat and I watched it and I, you know... Let yeah, it sink it's in. That hype, baby. That hype yeah. probably got to you. Same thing with the, the Lighthouse with me. It's just that hype, really. Like, what am I getting ready to watch? And you watch it and go, I'm watching a bitch go crazy, and in her mind, she's turning into a black swan. Okay. And it's about ballet, which I'm not that interested in. And if I'm going into something with this aspect that it's going to be horrifying or horror movie, and I end up just fucking really sad, I, I just, I don't know, something is leaving me with it that this isn't a horror movie. This isn't horrifying. This is a fucking drama. This is some big French nouveau bullshit from 1968. You know, this is an Ingmar Bergman fucking movie. This is uh, even though he's not French. Thriller, but I don't even like the thriller aspect. Like you might, you think it's I wasn't thrilled. I was really like depressed. But it's more of just it's a very psychological film, and it gets kind of psychologically terrifying at times. But I think all the things that people liked about Black Swan. I'm turning this into a big review of Mother, for God's sakes. I think he does that better in Mother, because that, like, well, way... You know, you're just comparing, you know, uh, the guy's fluency back and forth with his work, because, I mean, Black Swan is supposed to be a spiritual sequel to The Wrestler, because it's a movie displaying these people's oh. art through their life, and, you know, you see, I um, I like The Wrestler. Aronofsky's The Fountain, with Hugh Jackman? 
I didn't know that was him, but I have yeah, seen that's him. Another yeah. tremendous movie. I love that movie as well. Um, I, I really enjoyed the wrestler. You know, I obviously don't know uh, Darren's career that well. And I'll admit, and I've said it a lot on the show. I just am not a modern guy these days. And when we take the show back 10 years to when we started, that's where you were at. Trying to even get you to watch something that had recently come out was like pulling teeth. And now it's turned vice versa where I'm catching up and I'm getting into things, but I'm just stuck where, you know, we started at. There's so much trauma to watch. There's so much uh, just bad movies from the 80s that came out on video that I, I got to see first. But I will say that if you go through Aronofsky's career of all the films that he's made, um, like Black Swan is probably on it personally. It's one of his weaker films. I think it's still a very strong film. But if you go through his catalog, it's, uh, this seems like, you know, an offshoot. It doesn't kind of merge very well with the rest of everything else. I, I honestly think it's one of his weaker films, even being as good as it is. I think um, I think Requiem is amazing. I think that's kind of the test of time. Is well, let's compare. Look, let's compare those two back and forth because Requiem for a Dream. You don't have to be a heroin addict or anything to to feel emotion. You don't have to relate to any of those characters to walk in and finish that movie and completely be absolutely broken. Black Swan left me feeling very, very dismal, and that's about it. And I had no ability to relate to anyone, and I tried to. I just couldn't. And obviously, if you think hard enough, you can find yourself in the characters. That's a given for anything. Anyone under stress can see themselves in Natalie Portman's character. Obviously, it's based on Swan Lake. It just was such a play I couldn't I just felt like I needed to stand up and clap and sit down and go to intervention. It just felt so stuffy. It felt like it had an air of authority that it didn't directly need. And like the wrestler, which is, as he Darren says, it's spiritual sequel or this is a spiritual sequel to the wrestler. The wrestler had a feeling of authenticity, a feeling that you could relate to, a feeling that felt human and I just feel that there's almost a lack of that that this is more of a product and I, I don't mean it insultingly because I really really like the movie it just I know doesn't what you're seem... saying I just wouldn't say prog as much because I think the real yeah. is like it's a 100% honest um, it's an honest product is a very thing. poor choice of words and I mean it, this one feels... it, it's it's more I guess what you're saying is this is more like Hollywood it's more I have a um, uh, like the wrestler feels organic and black swan feels a little plastic or synthetic that there's just something a little different about its texture. You know what I mean? Like you can't grasp yeah. it. It's well, yeah. yeah I think like what I was saying, like it, it feels a little bit more Hollywood. It feels like there's like more of a studio behind it as opposed to the wrestler, which just feels like this earnest thing that any schmo it feels like somebody fucking attacked Mickey Rourke with a staple gun. And they did the necro butcher. Oh, necro butcher. What a guy. Um, Apparently, he's a really great guy. If you've seen the wrestler, the big beard outside of the ring. Yeah. Outside of the ring, he's an OK dude inside the ring. Oh, Jesus Christ. The wrestler. Well, so like you were turning this into a review of Mother. I'm just turning this into a review of the wrestler. (laughs) his other films but clearly we really like this this filmmaker and i i mean i think highly of him and i haven't you know i admit when i don't know shit i just haven't spent my time you know researching looking into him and it's because of things like black swan that you know i get pulled in a little bit i don't know if i'm ready to just take this trip down darren lane and and see what else the afro man can make me sad over because now i just feel like i'm an incomplete dancer (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i like for me, I didn't see why the general public took so hard to like uh, Black Swan. They all really seem to embrace it. I'm like, I don't know why people are 
getting so heavy into this movie because I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I liked the fucking weird shit. But then they turned on them with Mother because, oh, this is just fucking wacky shit and it's just got stuff that, I mean, it's and it's up its own ass and you're being too obvious with the story you're telling. I'm like, but that's what he's always done. He's always just been an incredibly uh, like abrasive filmmaker. He's trying to throw shit in your face, but like it's almost like you want him to go back to Black Swan and just dial it down a bit and i just i don't agree it's funny i actually remember when you saw black swan you were in uh, a theater and i had just texted you and you said hey i'm about to watch black swan and i said back yeah i don't like inception so that shows you how much i know about darren afrodansky <laughs> i just and i think the hype behind this movie especially when it came out i just was against anything that was hyped up and now i go stand in line and see three from hell because I don't value my time at all. I'm not discounting how you feel about the film. Like I can see it being very much overhyped. I think my situation is a little different that perhaps if I'd seen this when it initially had come out, uh, I might have had a different feeling compared to having, I mean, I only saw black Swan earlier this year for the very, very first time, maybe two months ago. So and I still think it's a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of his weaker movies personally. Vincent Cassell, uh, he's fucking great. Man, that guy's got one hell of a chin. He has got like a Clint Eastwood, Charlton Heston. Uh, Clint Eastwood's got a stubby chin. Heston, he's got a Heston chin. Good guy. Great chin. You can judge a man by his chin. I don't know. I got nothing. What's your next movie? Black Swan. Oh, no, wait. We got to rate it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give Black Swan like a four and a half out of five. Yeah, it's stupid for me to disagree at this point. I'm going to stick with you. Four and a half to five. I scream. Ah! You scream. Ah! Linnea screams. Ah! For Death by DVD. I'm Linnea. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. All right, the next movie we'll be talking about is one that you're probably going to want to skewer my testicles with little splinters of wood. All right, so Terminator 2 ain't what? that great. I've said it. I'm a man. I'll Can we go back to Terminator the testicles? Is not great. Yes. What, what about your it? testicles with what? That with was the, so specific. With little shavings of wood. Splinters hmm. of wood. Splinters of wood. It's okay. So Terminator 2, Judgment Day from 1991, directed by uh, everybody's favorite person, James Cameron. JC, baby. All right. So hear me out on this. Terminator 2, especially for his time, it was a technical marvel. The special effects, they're so crazy and blah, 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 blah. If you go back and rewatch Terminator, Terminator 2, Terminator is by far the superior your film that movie is no nonsense punch right to your fucking gut well essentially to terminator is a slasher and terminator is a slasher in the most perfect right you even got the masked super villain that can't be stopped terminator's everything that scream wanted to be that's the most important thing about terminator it just doesn't waste any well here's a good connection though i mean it tells its story if Scream was more like Terminator, Scream would have been a much more successful, scary movie. And that's what drives Terminator is it's actually scary. You've got this unstoppable force hunting 
Sarah Connor down, killing every Sarah Connor in the area, just massacring people for this one cause and he can't be stopped. And it's pretty cool that he looks like a fucking black leather punk rocker. It's just scary. It's just different. It's like um, the Kurgan and Highlander. It's just the image behind the force. And then when you re-deliver it in Terminator 2, you did the exact same thing. And it's James Cameron. I mean, let's look at Aliens. He did the exact same thing, but he made it the Vietnam War. Uh, all of his movies essentially are something else that he's just re-imaged and, or reimagined rather. And Terminator 2 is just the same thing. Have, I wish you would have done that more because what you end up with Terminator 2 is this incredibly bloated, nonsensical action movie. It does have a story, but it just... It ignores its story in favor of, like, these huge action sequences that add nothing to the story particularly. I mean, they look cool. They look cool, but, I mean, it's also the beginning of kind of the huge blockbuster action film where it just became about mostly a lot of style over substance. And style, when you're talking about Nicholas Winding Refn is one thing. We're talking about James Cameron. It's almost a lack of style. It's this kind of American no-culture fucking explosion style. It's a Michael Bay style. He really, I mean, he was Michael uh, Bay before there was Michael Bay, basically. Yeah, definitely. And he has to be a massive influence on a lot of these guys, too. I mean, even looking at Aliens, and we all know how much I love that movie. It's it's one of my all-time favorites. And not one of my all-time favorites. Aliens is probably my favorite movie of all time but all it is is a lot of flashy explosions a lot of just military jargon there's not a lot of substance it's like a five minute story they go to a rock rock's bad but i Everyone think that dies. one plays out that one actually plays out better than well, no, i mean Terminator two. it definitely Term- does but at a core i'm just trying to you know look at james cameron as a as a, as a writer and a, a guy that delivers stories all of his stories are five minutes long he has no right to be making two hour and 45 minute long movies about a guy coming back from the future for the second time and hanging out with teenagers and Linda Hamill. It's just so fucking long. It just it's doesn't. I mean, and the abyss is that long. It's a chase scene that lasts two and a half hours. OK, hear me with this. I feel, if anything, Terminator 2 is a bad Mad Max ripoff because it wants to be a road movie. They're just traveling the entire time. There are all these killer car things going on. You've got the trucking scene. You've got the motorcycle scene. You've got the helicopter scene. And it just at least the road warrior Mad Max 2 goes somewhere. They get to the end of the highway. Terminator seems Terminator 2 seems like it's just them circling over and over and over again. It's a NASCAR race. Yeah, it, it really doesn't particularly go anywhere. It's just from let's get from action scene to action scene. We'll have a little bit of character development, maybe, and a little bit of plot in between. It, it, the fate is what you make it. Okay, whatever. I mean, sure, fine. But it's just like he's not particularly interested in telling a story of this film. This was almost like an exercise in special effects, which he went on to with Avatar. It's like I mean, there's a good story. I mean, they add to the Terminator mythos and there's a good story. It's just not really dusted off. I mean, so they send back another Terminator, but they send back the one that looked like the other one because it would refresh memories. I don't know. But I have no idea. Actually, it's kind of pointless because. It would be bad for them to send the same one back. Yeah. Linda Hamilton already has preconceived notions about this this robot man. That's probably bad to do that, actually. But the future robots have created another robot that they sent back in time. So we've got, like, something going on. Okay, John Connor, the resistance leader, has been born through Kyle Reese. 
So we've got this whole vibe coming from the first movie. Things make sense. And then it's just action sequence, action sequence, action sequence. And when you're seven years old, this was the sweetest movie in the world. And I'll be the first to tell you because I worshipped this when I grew up. I absolutely loved this along with Aliens. The nostalgia for Aliens sticks along a little bit more than it does with Terminator 2 just because... I don't know. I don't even really enjoy Michael Bay movies that much. I love Heat, and that's probably the biggest shoot 'em up movie. That's Michael Mann. It's not Michael Bay, but I'm just using it as comparison with explosions. People get fucking Heat's shot. Heat's overrated too, though. So oh no, no, no! It, it is. Heat's a very, very <laughs> overrated movie. But using it as on my comparison of uh, shit getting blown up and a lot of two-hour long-winded drama, Heat's probably at the top of my list. I've just grown out of it. Terminator Two offers absolutely nothing when it comes to the characters. So Sarah Connor has gotten really buff being in an insane asylum, and it really sucks. And her kid's a little mullet head, and they're gonna save the day. Okay. All right. I like it. I, I like the Guns N' Roses, man. It's cool. I love the motorbike. I wish I was John Connor. I still fucking do. And like, I like that they developed her character more and she's become a different person since we last saw her seven years ago or whatever. When you get into the rest of it, she's for the most part still basically doing the same thing she was doing before. She's just running away from a fucking robot. Well, like she's tougher and definitely she can handle herself more. And that's kind of interesting. Definitely, Let's not but, say she's just running away. I mean, she's at its core surviving. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of the story is Sarah is surviving. And now she has another reason to survive. She has to make a better tomorrow for John. So, I mean, they do emphasize her character a little bit more. I don't give them that, but it's just. The structure of the film is fairly lazy. It relies so heavily on special effects, which are now somewhat outdated. I'm, I'm not like picking at it saying, God damn, I mean, those 90 special books look like shit. It's just, I mean, but special effects do outdate themselves. But overall, there's just no story to hold it together because if you look at the original Terminator and how like sleek and clean it is, it's like a fucking sports car. And Terminator 2 is one giant fucking Mack truck of just with like a pool on the back of it and a fucking liquid rope. It's just so much shit just like stacked up on this truck. And like absolutely none of it has a point to it because it's like what what's more important here is the engine that's driving it. All this extra. And the engine is fueled by anything to the film. I mean, not trying to completely poke fun at James Cameron, but he was fucking coked out of his mind. And a lot of these ideas are from a man that was completely coked out of his fucking mind. Yeah. And you can kind of tell because it just ends up being action sequence after action sequence. And let's because action sequences can be entertaining. But if you like, what did they do after Terminator 2? Like the unofficial Terminator 3 was a fucking 20 minute like stage performance 3D film at Universal Studios for Christ's sakes. And oh, it's Terminator really no 2 the ride. Yeah, it's really no different than Terminator 2 the movie. It's just the same shit because they were able to tell almost the same amount of story in that by throwing just special effects at your face and here you go. Here's a Terminator experience for you. And I think that's also why most Terminator movies have failed subsequently to this one is because most people aren't even after a story when it comes to Terminator. They just want fucking set pieces. And there's a, now that we can do anything with CGI, set pieces are almost impossible to do to make your audience happy because you've seen one giant major, for fuck's sakes, in Infinity War, the character killed half the goddamn planet. 
So and like every character ev- dies, but don't worry, they come back in the next movie because nothing matters anymore. No, there's no stakes you can have anymore. And Terminator Two is honestly the kind of the beginning of that thing to where it just became. Let's see how much shit we can throw at the screen as opposed to really focusing in on what we're trying to do with the story. Because you're obviously not trying to terrify anybody like you did with the original Terminator. You're obviously not trying to tell a more in-depth story about humanity. You're really just trying to tell a story about two robots beating the shit out of each other. So that's another reason why I understand all the complaints about subsequent Terminator films. It's just like, well, this one's... PC and SJW, there's women in it. It's still just two robots beating the fuck out of each other. Why do you care? It's robots beating the fuck out of each other. It's the same shit you've been watching since 91. So what's maybe, the fucking difference? Because the story maybe, in Terminator 2 is pretty shit on its own, folks. Maybe Skynet developed a female robot because the males kept fucking losing. One of the concepts, not concepts, one of the things I think is interesting behind Terminator 2 and might be... Uh, why some of the things are so grand and um, decadent as they are is Catherine Bigelow was doing Point Break at the same time. They're both shooting in around the same areas. And, you know, Point Break is a pretty extravagant movie with special effects, not special effects, but stunts on its own and explosions. And it's very it's a high paced movie. It's a high octane movie. So Cameron and Catherine Bigelow were kind of heading off back and forth with each other of who could make the better action movie. And they both had a pretty stellar cast. I mean, Keanu Reeves and Swayze were at the top of their game at the same time as Busey, fucking Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Oh, don't forget Busey and uh, what Tom, um, Tom Sizemore briefly. You've got for very few seconds, Anthony Kiedis as war child, an all-star cast, but uh, your two leads. Lori Petty was somewhat known. I mean, tank girl hadn't come out yet. That's a few years later. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so most of your cast, I mean, I think Keanu and Patrick Swayze were the big selling point there, but them going head to head relationship wise, cocaine wise, and then film wise, I think maybe it could have been a really big one upper of, you know, hey, honey, how was your day? Well, I jumped out of a plane with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. It was pretty cool. What did you do? Uh, drove off a bridge with a Mack truck and Arnold Schwarzenegger and a teenager is pretty cool. You know, it's just a pissing contest of what's better. And in the long run, I'm going to side with Catherine Bigelow. Point Break's a better movie than Terminator 2, man. Well, By a long shot. I think where we're at with the way special effects are that you're not like I understand for the 90s. It's a really big deal. You're able to take things this far. But now that we can take anything that far, what we have to rely on is story. And when you don't have story, you don't have an internal plot that really drives the whole thing, then you really don't have much of anything. So I just don't think Terminator 2 has really aged that well over the years. I think. But is it the fact that it hasn't aged that well, or is it when it came out it was a marvel of its time and people were very impressed by it? No one cared that it lacked the substance that you bring up. That's a lot of it. It yeah, was just could, exciting. I think it's back and forth between those two, like a, a shitty tennis game. And again, I'm still going to give it probably a four and a half out of five because it's got issues, definitely. But it's overall a, quite a good film. But when you hear people talk, especially with the new Terminator movies, I mean, they just keep trying to make new ones and they never turn out right. Why can't you make another one like Terminator 2? I'm like, Terminator 2 kind of sucks, too, folks. Like Terminator is like so awesomely like done 
and no nonsense. And then everything since then has been mostly shit. So I don't know what are the complaints about where all these other you're shitting on the Terminator franchise. Well, I mean, let's James look Cameron shit on it immediately after when he made his sequel. So well, let's look at actual history, though. They essentially did remake Terminator with Terminator Genesis. And guess what? It wasn't that good. It was good because of the time it was made. The product when it was delivered in its era was pretty fantastic it is still dated you can remake these things but you have to change the concept and do something new you have to make it fresh you can't just fucking remake terminator and say well we're not remaking it because we're going back again to change the future so skynet it's not a remake we're just changing history you guys like twin peaks it's the same thing no it's not you're remaking the goddamn movie and you changed bill paxton so it sucked um that's petty but it's true and then the new movie god knows i've read a few reviews here and there and my excitement Initially, I was really into this idea. I love Linda Hamilton coming back. It sounded different. It sounded, especially when Cameron got on board, I got a little bit of hope. And slowly that's degraded and turned into, I'll catch this whenever it hits Amazon Prime. Well, if you go into like more modern films, like even the Fast and the Furious series, like what makes those entertaining? Because like the first three movies, almost four movies that just totally suck. They're just boring, stupid fucking movies. But then you get more entertaining because they stop giving a shit and it just gets goddamn ridiculous. And the stunt scenes that they do are just fucking stupid and ridiculous. The rock turns a torpedo with his own, like with his own power of strength. He just grabs it with his hand and turns it around and shoots the other way. Cause I mean, that's just dopey, ridiculous shit. And the Terminator series has tried to ground itself in some sort of rea- let's see how many times we can flip this truck. Well, that's not ridiculous. Like what people are needing now is like I've said on another show is just have 10,000 Terminators CGI'd and it's a big battle scene between fucking endoskeletons and humans. I think that's what everyone fucking plot is because that's what any, everybody goddamn wants. They don't want a story. They don't want complicated time travel shit. They just want a bunch of fucking action scenes about people fighting metal skeletons. I think that's what everyone's wanted uh, as a core from day one and what they tried to do with Terminator Salvation, but it turned into this more John Connor has to save the day with Kyle Reese. Yeah, I know. It's a dumb plot now. I mean, it's just a dumb plot. Like something like Fear the Walking Dead that initially was a spinoff and now has become this really grand, stupid thing on its own with zombies shooting cars and i've still not seen a lot of it i got turned off after you had seen more than me and explained how bad it progressively got but oh they you know the bet on that show but that's an idea with terminator i mean make it the uprising in france make it somewhere else anywhere else exclude john connor exclude the rest of the mythos and make it a giant terminator war in the future with the exoskeletons and the the hunter killers flying around and make it in germany or somewhere else the resistance fighting anywhere else there has to be other people that are getting these messages there has to be other survivors right so what's going on in japan what's going on in australia i mean let's just do terminator somewhere else we can exclude Arnold Schwarzenegger. We can just make it the exos, exo, ah, exoskeletons. It's a fresh idea. Well, even like the, the, we could the, even do it with my Children of the Corn thing. Oh my God, they could be Terminators. Children of the Corn, Terminator, Hellraiser. Ah, it all mixes. Well, in the last going? few films, like the new, like you know, T's. Like you had the T one thousand. The new ones are like nanotechnology, but they still go back to form a weird human skeleton shape for literally no what why. 
why are they forming a human skull with glowing eyes? Because, you know, Terminator franchise. It's like, this is just, there's no any sense in this shit anymore. So why are you trying to make sense with it? Stop even bothering to have any kind of anything story. Just I have will it be say, killer robots, and that's it. I am excited to hear why the Terminator ages. I really, because they explained that in the, the last one. Oh, well, that was the excuse in the last one. I mean, Cameron doesn't want to use somebody else's idea. I don't know, dude. I, I haven't seen it, nor do I give a shit to see it. I haven't seen the last three Terminator movies. I don't care. Yeah, I saw Terminator I, uh, 3, and I'm like, I'm done with this. this. This is boring as fuck to me now. I don't care. You know, now that you say it, I think I'm I'm probably the same. I, I distinctly remember seeing Terminator 3 because I liked the, the female Terminator. I thought she was kind of badass. And then what the next one is with Batman, and I didn't see that. I've seen a lot of it. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. I've gone into it with the, the greatest intentions, but I've fallen asleep or, I don't know, just not cared. You think it's going to be good, but it's mostly desert shots in a back lot and Christian Bale and uh, that guy that got crushed by a car. I forgot his name. <laughs> I don't remember. Anton Yelchin. Rest in peace. Oh, oh that guy. Yeah, sorry, Anton. You were great in Green Room. I didn't mean to disrespect your honor or the honor of Jeep Cherokee. I think they paid your family. <laughs> it just got dark in here. Real dark. It's getting dark in here. So turn off this on dumb list. show. What's uh, on your list, bitch? So here I made my mistake earlier, and I said that Black Swan was my least favorite movie on this list. I lied. Here's my least favorite movie on this list from 2005 by Rob Zombie. It's The Devil's Rejects. Yay! I don't know if I, I need to. Kind of wrong. I, yeah, well, I am regularly. I'm used to that, but I, I just don't get it. I I didn't get it when it came out, and I was the first in line when this movie came out. If I need to explain this to you, it is the Firefly family. Fire, did I? Seems like Flam- I said that wrong. Family, Flanley. Uh, they do. All, they there is some flannel in this movie. The Firefly. Why is this so hard to say? So the guys from the House of a Thousand Corpses movie, they come back. Otis is no longer an albino, and all the cool characters are gone, and uh, Karen Black's in it now. And No, it's not Karen Black in this one. She's in the first one. See, it's, it doesn't uh, matter. Callahan from uh, Police Academy films. Her, Leslie Les- Easterbrook. Easterbrook. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to run through the goddamn Police Academy. I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the tall, big black guy is not. Yeah, Leslie Easterbrook. So they uh, go on a killing spree again. And it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. It's the Manson <laughs> family again. Kind of. Okay. It's absolutely contrived white trash for the sake of white trash. I just wish it was the 70s. It's the reason you won't go see Quentin Tarantino's new movie. It's just I like the 70s and I like it this way and I'm going to say fuck pussy fart as much as I can. It's just sometimes realism is too much and we'll get to realism being too much in a little while. But in this sense, it's just fucking t- what what does anything matter? Who are these people? You throw in these weird, clever references to who their names are and that there's a bigger connection of who's father and daughter and mother and brother and sister and cousin and who the fuck cares? What is the absolute point behind the story? There's no redeeming characters there's no positive nor negative message if anything it's one of the things Chaz Ballin hated the most about a film violence for the sake of violence I don't find it boring and I don't think it's inadequately shot I don't think it's poorly acted Sherry Moon's a little annoying I'll give that much but what it, it just means uh, nothing and House of a Thousand Corpses is even a worst movie 
I somehow will even give it a higher rating because it manages to just be it's batshit. That is a, a Don Doler level of weird, dumb shit that shouldn't have worked the way it did. But maybe the original soundtrack by Rob Zombie, uh, Rain Wilson. I don't know. There's just a lot of weird things in House of a Thousand Corpses that connects it as a really enjoyable movie. And then The Devil's Rejects becomes the pseudo real I don't know, just dry cracker of a movie to me. It, it's just Bill Mosley's great. Uh, Sid Haig's great. Everyone's awesome. Liam Forsyth, Forsyth kicks ass. There's just, uh, just it's dry. It just doesn't those have any all, fucking thing. It doesn't stand for anything to me. Those are all pretty good points. Um, little context on this. I saw House of a Thousand Corpses in the theater. I went, Jesus Christ, that was the messiest thing I've ever seen, and it was not enjoyable. I go and see The Devil's Rejects, and I see growth as a filmmaker. I go, wow, he was able to nail down a more realistic tone to this. I think the character, the acting is really good, especially. I think the growth pissed me off because, I mean, I I I wanted the growth. Oh, well, when you come into the game swinging so goddamn hard with this Dr. Satan, weird albino, crazy it's bullshit. Too much, dude. It's way too much. But then to just tone it down in the manner that he did, I don't want uh, an explanation to who Dr. Satan is, but I just want some sort of connection. I mean, at this point, House of a Thousand Corpses seems like it's its own standalone movie. Like, it's just a project. Yeah, and then you only have this and Three from Hell as its own two things, but there's just a driving force in me that wants to connect it all. And that's, uh, I guess I would say, ignorance on my part, because uh, defending what we said at the beginning of the show, none of these are really bad movies. I like The Devil's Rejects against what I just raved about for five minutes straight without taking a fucking breath. But there's just something just I don't know. I I, I do agree with your assessment. I think that he did grow and I do fully agree with your assessment. There's just something missing. I would say this is mostly overrated by specifically horror fans and specific type of horror fans. Definitely overrated. But in like regular public consciousness, I'd say it sits where it basically sits. Um, Well, you say that, but I sat in a completely sold out elbow to elbow theater for three from hell on its first night of showing. And I, I have to say, I was incredibly uncomfortable with how many people actually were there. So Rob Zombie. Yeah, but how many of those people were normies, man? I don't know. There was a, a odd amount like of children. People brought their kids. There was a lot of just middle-aged yeah, polo shirt wearing face. guys. No, yeah, but goes they, to see a Rob Zombie movie now, unless they're Rob. But you Zombie say fans. Rob Zombie fans, and you're thinking uh, Dracula-looking guys, guys that look like me and you with facial hair and long hair that wear all black. That these are polo shirt wearing nine to five guys. That the Rob Zombie has entered normality. You know, he's a radio hit, uh, white zombie aside. Even then in the 90s, uh, Thunder Kiss 65, that was a pretty popular song. He's become oh, he's always been popular with a, a more normal style crowd. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's people, people that are coming. But there was but, are still all zombie fans. But these it's, people like, came specifically. Well, they, these people specifically might not be zombie fans, but they came to see Three from Hell because they like The Devil's Rejects, because they like Sherry Moon, because they like Bill Mosley. These are the people that hound and are at every convention that have 2,000 Bill Mosley autographs and photos that harass them, quote unquote, on Twitter and, and annoy these people that are diehard because of this. They might, most of them, if they weren't Rob Zombie fans, became fans after they saw these movies and are just devout to the characters. It's not even so much Rob Zombie, like Sid Haig has recently passed away. People don't even seem to be mourning Sid Haig. People aren't sad that this talent, this actor, this man, this father, this husband, this human died. They're really upset that Captain Spaulding's dead. 
so it's a it's a level of these characters that people really really and it's whatever people have fandoms people are into that you know supernatural show hardcore uh, my little pony you've got the fucking bronies i'm not comparing any of these as equals or whatnot but the well, characters okay. in the devil's rejects seem to be more popular than the movie people don't want to recognize that it's a very disconnected sloppy movie because they really like bill mosley well, like in a historical context with specifically this film, it comes out, I see it and I go, wow, he really like stripped this down and he brought horror back to kind of a really nasty place. It hasn't been in quite a while since like the 70s. And I really enjoy The Devil's Rejects. And I think a good portion of his hype and what you're responding to is him outside of this film as a filmmaker, because what we like eventually learned is oh, Jesus Christ, he doesn't have any other tricks. It's literally just remaking this same film over, oh, well, and, over and over again. You know, I, I don't even want to put it that way because I will defend the Halloween movies. I, they're not the best and they're not the worst, but what he attempted to do, not what he attempted to do, what he did do was put a fresh spin. And this was something I was complaining about earlier, so I can't put my foot in my mouth over it. If you're going to remake something, if you're going to do something on a subject matter, at least put something new into it. What's the point of remaking the same thing? You've absolutely lost the point of the art, essentially. With with, um, Tim Burton at this point, because Tim Burton does kind of the same thing that Rob Zombie's doing, where it's just like, I've got my thing, and we're just going to take something... Uh, just a nothing story and I'm going to do my thing to this story. And that's what he's done over and over again. It's probably not his fault. It's probably a good portion of what people want out of him. Uh, I think he's, he has a, a good, I think he's got a good pitch with a lot of stuff. I mean, I like Lords of Salem a lot. I think, I think it's one Hall- of his better movies. It's one of his best I think movies actually. Yeah, it's my favorite Rob Zombie movie. I think it's his best movie. But Halloween 2 uh, really isn't a, a completely stupid, awful movie. Halloween 1 has some issues with it, but the sequel's not that bad. I, I will, I don't know, a 3 from Hell is abhorrent. I had an awful time. It does not need to be <laughs> two hours. I, I just really, really strongly did not like that movie, and I don't want that to come off as, uh, fuck Rob Zombie, I hate Rob Zombie. I really dig the guy. He's a rock and roll horror director what what I want to be, what you want to be. Let, let's be honest. Who doesn't want to be a rock and roll horror director selling out fucking stadium shows with Marilyn Manson and then getting to go hang out and make movies with legends like Bill Mosley and Sid Hay and Ken Foray? I mean, come on. He's living the dream and he's doing it his way, which is, is really important uh, with his integrity, his art. I, I really like Rob Zombie. I don't want it to be misconstrued that it's a, a, you know, a piss poor piece, but I just don't. I, when I saw this, I didn't get it. And I was up there front row. You know, I wanted to see this movie. And I saw it like fucking nine times just because it was Sid Hey, Bill Mosley. It was people I absolutely loved. And it was something to do at the time. But reflecting on it even now. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I think all of that works within the Devil Rejects, um, the form that he's using. But when you see a lot of his other films after that, it's just like, holy fuck, this is more of the same. Why do you keep hiring the same fucking people to play roles that they're not like meant to play? Like the, one of my problems with Halloween isn't even so much the story, the white trash aspects, all that. It's like, OK, use William Forsythe. That's that's good. OK, why is Ken Forey in this for one scene? Why are why are you just stunt casting absolutely every Last no, year. Richard Lynch so, was nice. It's distracting as shit. It was nice seeing Richard Lynch. That was yeah, okay. It's 
it's not like Richard Lynch is in like a, a problem in himself. None of these actors are a problem in themselves being in it. The problem well, I completely, is I'm, every I'm naming... sub character is some classic horror star. And it's just like it's just distracting from the movie in general. Him as a filmmaker, it's just like this. Okay. Well, he used Lynch the one time, and that was you know uh, considerably okay. And that's like what Quentin Tarantino did. He's even used Sid Haig before, throwing these guys a bone here and there and putting them in as bit pieces. Sid Haig appeared in Jackie Brown as the judge but he completely and overuses them too like i get it you really like ken foray you want to put him in everything his place has just been lost at this point i can't figure out which character he's supposed to be anymore is he the radio dj is he the pimp who is ken foray in your movie universe um which version of halloween it was but it's the one where the security guards i think it's the theatrical cut where it's bill mosley sid haig and like leslie easterbrook playing security guards at the mental asylum it's like that's just fucking distracting, man. Like you've got everywhere, like a good portion of the devil's rejects and they're just security guards in like one scene. What the fuck are you doing? Wait till you see three from hell. I can't wait for that day. I'm really excited for you to sit down and watch three from hell. Uh, Yeah, I'll get it around to it at a certain point, but I think historically, like at the time period, um, I think this movie got the appropriate hype and, what it as it deserved it, but I think subsequently since then it's just for him as a filmmaker he just shot himself about in the foot it. of repeating himself over and over again. People reference this and bring it up as a masterpiece of the 2000s and and how it changed and broke barriers, and I don't think it did anything. I'll honestly stand by what I said when I brought this up as my pick is it's something Chaz Ballon would have just hated. It's violence for the sake of violence, and it serves no purpose. These characters don't go anywhere. There's no – there's not even – I mean, it's a pseudo-Manson bullshit plot. Bill Mosley even delivers Tex Watson lines throughout the movie, but where does it go? There's no black bus philosophy. There's nothing. There's no depth whatsoever to it. So you took all these characters from your first movie, you brought them into the second one, and you still don't deliver any form of depth. Why do I need to give no. a shit? It's just people dying at this point. It's it's nothing. And it's the f- fact of how he treats things and how intense it does get like the the motel room scene, I think is a quality piece of filmmaking on his part and control of his actors and what he needed for that scene because it's just like there's so much tension in it and he was able to build that tension and I don't think he's been able to accomplish that since then I think he's kind of fallen off I honestly think he read a bunch of reviews of his work and at this point he's just like and eh, whatever, no one's ever going to be happy. I'm just going to do what I like. Hey, give him some luchador masks and let's just move on. This is, man, this is the Rob Zombie thing. I think oh, he's there's more a... hyper aware of himself as a product than like any director. So you have a very thoughtful aspect to things. And, you know, I, as someone who sat down and has watched 31, I just don't see it. I think it's a guy that is I going out that's there. Product. That's what that film is. That's I don't Rob's know. Product. Yeah, I, um, I think so. Yeah, that's a guy going out there that is a rock and roll film director doing whatever he wants to do, and that's what Thirty One is. It's just absolutely. And Thirty, I, I honestly will straight up fucking say I think Thirty One is a better movie than Three from Hell. Thirty One has an awesome opening ten minutes, and the rest of it is a gigantic fucking mess that I don't really like watching. 
Well, three from hell is two hours and three minutes, and I didn't even think ten of it was worthwhile. So at just least Richard break addressing the camera is the only thing I care about, and the rest of it's all shit. <laughs> the entirety of Three from Hell has Richard Brake in it, which you'd think is absolutely fantastic. It would be redeeming, but unfortunately, I'm here to piss in your punch bowl. It's not. It's not good. It's not good at all. I don't. I don't know. Maybe they were all sad. And here's what I'm going to tell you. It's a fiver for me. Wow. It's a fiver, baby. It's a five and five. I'm going to give it a four and a five, so I'm not far behind. Uh, and again, you know, just touching upon what we said at the beginning of the show, I don't dislike any of these movies. There's just something about the Devil's Rejects that never connected. It, I just don't. I don't understand why these characters became so important and why they're so mesmerizing, but. At the same time, somebody will wear an Otis Driftwood T-shirt and in conversation, ah, fuck Charlie Manson, he cut a baby out of a woman. What are you, uh, you just don't even know what you're standing behind. You know, it, it, To me, it's just this helter-skelter bullshit, bugliosi, let's write a scary legend. Okay. I mean, look at Otis, the big beard, the hair, the whatever, and then you've not seen Three from Hell, but they really try to play Sid Haig up as this clowns for christ charlie manson fucking weird shit and it just doesn't none of it is redeeming none of it pays off like you have more of a problem with the rob zombie fan base than you do with the actual film itself no i I just want to know why these things are so important it's not so much the film but i watched this movie and i don't understand where all of this influence where all this is the best character ever you know like chop top at least is something culturally part of a chain it's part of the texas chainsaw franchise it's a hysterical shocking character it was completely different it's just a psychopath it was really crazy he had a plate in his head he was leatherface's brother it's it's bananas He's just the same guy with long hair now. Like, I got the first it's part. The seriousness I get from Bill, though. Like, he just takes this role so seriously. I can see it in his fucking eyes how much That's the fucking it. Yale. That That's the Yale degree behind the Bill Mosley there, who is, I mean, I'm not saying these characters don't have any importance in horror history. I just don't understand where the, the backing of it comes from. You know, Michael Myers has a history, a path. Jason has a history. He has a past. All these characters have huge mythos and all these things behind them. And then we're given in the devil's rejects. Well, they all take their name from old movies. They're all big fans of old movies. So, you know, duck soup. Don't talk bad about John Wayne. What is any of it mean? It's just catchy thrown out the dialogue that has no real backing, no soul. I mean, Jeffrey Lewis time. For the time, it was like it was such a breath of fresh air. And now it's just I I see through your gimmick, Rob, and you just keep doing the same basic thing and you're obsessed with the same. Well, you know, you just said it perfectly. It's a breath of fresh air, but you eventually have to exhale. Yeah. And then I think that's where I still think it's kind of an I think it's an amazing movie. But I also can see how somebody can come in later in life, somebody who's now just turning 18 or where watching, like, I don't get this. This just seems like a whole bunch of cursing and yelling. And well, whether I mean, or not your age, I think you can agree fully that it's the best use of Freebird ever. Oh, by far. I mean, he owned that song. I can't even hear that song. I think it fucking devil's rejects at this point. It's a part of culture. It's a part of Rob Zombie, which is just weird. You know, you think about like these really great, huge names that everyone is familiar with, like Ozzy Osbourne. Your grandmother knows who Ozzy Osbourne is. Your weird religious cousin knows who Ozzy Osbourne is. Everybody knows who he is. Rob Zombie is, you know, going to be that way. A lot of these people, even if you like him or not, like Corn, Marilyn Manson, they're still around fucking doing shit. These guys are taking over the place of these massive names like Judas Priest, Slayer, and 
not even 20 years and 15 years from now, you're going to have 15, 14 year olds rocking corn shirts, rocking Rob zombie shirts because it's full on classic rock. It's going to be retro at this point, And it's going to be one of those things that you can sit back and complain. But I do remember when it came out, and like I said, I saw it eight, nine times in theaters because it was what there was to do. It was the only thing that I related to at the time. I mean, it was exciting. It just doesn't, have a feeling to me and i remember sitting there and being just so crushed when the movie ended like uh, but who were they why why do i even care and it, it is what it is i mean i don't i feel like i'm bitching and i don't want to bitch i mean i, I, <laughs> That's what this I whole episode is man it's all bitching well i mean it's bitching but it's to an extent and i just feel like i'm coming off so uh butthurt over the devil's rejects and i really like the movie i mean i i've rewatched it a handful of times since it came out and i mean like you've done a beautiful art piece on it i've done two or three paintings on Sherry Moon and Sid Haig based on this movie. It's just a piece of culture. I mean, it's I gave it a four and a five and you gave it a five and a five. It's a good rating. I think we, we did justice. I just hate coming off like I hate Rob Zombie. Yeah, we don't hate Rob Zombie, but I mean, since he's been a filmmaker, he's kind of like, you're, you're giving me the old tricks, man. Like, you need to do something different. Make a drama. I wish you would have made that hockey movie. I would like something, uh, again, more like Lords of Salem, something, you know, deep. I feel that was probably his most personal movie and him trying his hardest. And he clearly didn't get to fully do what he wanted to do. But I really like what happened. It's a, a weird concept and it reminds me a lot of Ken Russell. And we're getting to my final film on the list, which is the movie that is going to just start a Bolivian coup against me. Everyone's going to hate me after I make admission to this, but I, on a whole, think the Christopher Nolan Batman movies suck. Um, I'm specifically going to be talking about The Dark Knight, but just the Christopher Nolan Batman movies as a whole. I don't think they're awful films, and I'm, again, I think they're generally, like, okay, but as far as, like, a Batman movie goes, why would you move everything towards realism? That sucks. It makes everything so much more boring. It's so hyper realistic. It's it's fault worthy. It, it becomes so hyper realistic that I just realize, okay, Batman needs Prozac. Fun. I need Prozac. Okay, we're all depressed. I don't need a depressed Pittsburgh Batman. And I mean, the movie is supposed to be Gotham City, but it's fucking Pittsburgh. The best like Batman movie they've never made are like those video games. That is the perfect level of camp and realism. Mixed with like like a comic book style of realism. I think those games are about the level of realism you need in Batman. And Christopher Nolan's decided, fuck that. Let's just make it like it's the, the real. OK, world. well, I get where you're coming from. And I don't consider myself a purist because I'm not specifically a comic book fan at, at any form. The initial Batman movies, Tim Burton's movies, had mysticism, great. they had fantasy, they had horror, they had action, they had all the aspects of a comic book. Not even just a cartoon, but there was a fantasy level that let you transcend and actually believe in Batman and believe in that fictional Gotham. It was so hyper bizarre. It, it reminded me of that um, German movie M. It just had these looming, scary, even like Metropolis, just these looming, scary figures and shapes and dark shadows. And it just worked for the environment that you're trying to display. This hopeless city riddled with crime, no hope, very nihilistic. And then this billionaire playboy philanthropist comes into the picture and is the Batman. It had action. It had sex appeal. It just all of those things worked 
with what you're trying to display with Batman. And I don't want to agree with like Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese. I think there is a high amount of art with comic book movies. I think there is with comic books. And I think to piss on that is to piss on the artists and the writers that were behind these things to say that this isn't art. You are insulting and assaulting commerce. We'll put it that way. Well, I I understand that aspect, but I think you're insulting and assaulting the people that wrote and worked on these things and the artists and the writers and, and everyone else that was involved in the production of these graphic novels, comic books, whatever the source material may be that the, in the long run, it's, like this show transient on what is good or what is bad, like at a whole, it's not taking the realism is, is, is just so faulty. And you've taken it to an extent that it's almost like a philosophy paper. At this point, I understand the right of good and bad, and I get chaotic neutral and people just trying to throw a, a, a spark into society. But in the long run, you've produced a two hour and 30 minute movie that just goes absolutely nowhere. It leaves you hanging upside down, just like the Joker. The end of the movie is so fucking flat. You've got two face, one of the greatest villains who truly should have been played by a black man because that's what two face is. He was a black guy. Well, Billy D Williams source material. Well, it's Billy D. Yeah, I mean, in the Tim Burton film, yes, but I mean, it doesn't matter. You can. Really they should have hired Billy D instead of Aaron Eckhart and or Thomas Jane. Well, like my problems with again, their problems with Christopher Nolan's movies as a whole. I think Christian Bale is possibly the worst Batman that's ever been cast. He's a terrible Bruce Wayne. Him as Bruce Wayne, it's just like he he it's like he doesn't even want to be there to shoot this footage over Ben Affleck. Or Ben Affleck, even um, even over George Clooney. I think he's just a terrible Batman. I don't buy his gruff Batman. George Clooney's movie wasn't the best, but you're supposed to be a petty billionaire, pretty boy. You're looking at the people. Great Bruce Wayne. He's. I have a hard time. Especially with the Dark Knight, I have a very, very hard time looking at Bruce Wayne and not thinking of Patrick Bateman. Uh, look, there's a very thin line between the two and he's just playing a sociopath. I mean, it's a guy that dresses up in leather and beats the shit out of people. And the entire point of this movie is pretty much Batman doesn't want to le- lose his humility. So he lets people just die. And then they come up with a big fake Alfred Hitchcock style ruse of what's going on. And then a bunch of more people die. So what was the lesson learned, even going back to the Devil's Rejects? What was the goddamn point? It's just two hours and everybody died. Not only that, I think I think Heath Ledger gave a amazing performance. Um, his little spin where he decided to be Tom Waits, oddly enough, uh, I think is great. Um, I think his makeup was goddamn terrible. I think it was some of the worst design makeup I've ever seen. People love it. I think it's terrible looking. I think as a whole, the Joker had pretty lackluster makeup, though. I mean, uh, going back to Cesar Romero to Jack Nicholson, it's just grease paint. You don't have to do anything crazy. I mean, like literally, like the Joker is a debonair character. He's got class. He's a psychopath with class. And when you do it, Christian Bale, he's a greasy street guy. Almost. Um, and we even go to the Jared Leto. Now he's a juggalo. You go to the Joaquin Phoenix thing, and now he's a psychopath with smeared makeup on his face. And it's just, why? All, well, no, you like, can't say that. Man- you, you can't say he's a psychopath because the whole point of the Joker now is it's just mental illness. It's oh, pleading. <laughs> and it's really it's pleading and it's pandering. And uh, I think we said a couple episodes in a row. I'm going to try and keep my my Joker rants down. It's a neat movie. 
Todd Phillips is a very talented guy, but it, it it's just a weak pan. It's another movie that's been overhyped, personally, I think. Oh, it's, it's absolutely been overhyped. It's the top ten right now is one of the greatest movies of all time. You're trying to tell me that this is one of the greatest movies of all time when you've remade Taxi Driver and even insulted me enough to make the villain, quote unquote, fucking Robert De Niro, whatever. It's neither here nor there comparison to The Dark Knight because The Dark Knight's actually a better movie and I really enjoyed it. This is the one I've never seen. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show that I'll be honest with it. I have managed to, since this came out, never see The Dark Knight. I sat down and watched it today and I I was just enthralled. And what kept dragging me down and, and really bruising me is this movie is really great. But why is Batman in it? This would be so this is like heat. If Batman wasn't in it, which, again, talking about overrated movies, Heat is a very overrated movie that I love. I absolutely love. I liked everything about this. I liked the pacing. I liked the characterization. I liked Heath Ledger. I love the Joker. I I love his message. I love what he essentially stands for, that whole little statement with him and Harvey Dent in the hospital about throwing anarchy into things and changing people. It's kind of like a Ken Kesey kind of message. It's you know, free your mind and the rest will follow. Obviously, it's shown to you in this Tyler Durden, very, very edgy, not nihilistic, but who gives a fuck sort of way. It's even past the point of nihilism because, you know, essentially nihilism at its core is the belief that nothing matters and nothing is everything and everything is nothing. And then this is fuck the world. This is like an edgy 17 year old that just discovered. I Rage think that's kind machine. of my problem with it. It's yes, absolutely. That, that's the fault. It's very 17-year-old Rage Against the Machines guy. And I think what, more than anything, and I don't really want to get into politics and the current state of things, but where <laughs> Not most, after the last episode. Well, where most people were having a problem with this Joker movie coming out. Like, before the movie came out, the media was all over it and going, I don't know about this stuff. Yeah, I let me. I don't think they're really taking, they were even taking this movie to task, the, the Joaquin Phoenix movie. I think that it, this is past bullshit with the Dark Knight and the obsession with Heath Ledger's character, the Joker, because of how many people, like, took all this shit to heart and decided to be, like, these nihilistic anarchist crazy motherfuckers. How many times I've had to listen to my local sociopath say the world, say the words, some people just want to see the world burn because it makes me feel super edgy and cool. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ, grow the fuck up a little bit. Um, but At I mean, that's understand what wanting to see the world burn means because it's not some complacent, crazy idea of, of even going back to fight club, just blowing things up to, to, to live through anarchy and chaos. What you mean is the devastation of society and your message has no point. Like you go back and you try and, uh, divulge what people mean through watching these movies and how they relate to these characters. Why do you relate to the Joker? You're not a loner. I mean, even now, uh, with this essential remake of, taxi driver and it's the same loner purpose and point it's the same uh loneliness xenophobia hatred of society or being hated feeling like you're afraid to go outside your front door uh that henry rollins song uh civilized it's it's all that stuff wrapped in together in a nice little bow but it's just retranslated from the 70s all all of these emotions the, the whole performance if you take batman out of this movie it's fucking taxi driver the Joker is just Travis Bickle on a terroristic scale, you know, on a big Bin Laden million dollar fucking funded scale. That's all it is. For what the movie ultimately is about, the story is not that elaborate because for Nolan likes to take it and just 
Well, how does it follow the first hours. movie? Hours. What? How does it follow the first movie? I mean, it, so- I mean, Batman. It's Batman Begins. He becomes Batman, and he stops a, a fucking plot from happening, killing all of Gotham. And now it's a few years later, and he's been Batman for a while. Because right, the last movie ends with Commissioner or Lieutenant Gordon handing Batman the Joker's card, and then they get into the movie because Cillian Murphy appears at the beginning, and the beginning is is pretty fucking thick. I mean, you've got one hell of a sequence with the whole bank robbery and um, Fitchner and the, the shotgun sequence. It's, it's a really high octane thing. And then you directly go into references from the first movie with Cillian Murphy. You've got the fake Batman. All of it's really exciting. And then you move into this romantic, human, depressing. I'm conflicted with my beliefs. And then the Joker's introduced. And then the development is Two-Face as a character is probably uh, one of the most redeemable parts. I don't think that was necessary, though. I, I thought that was one of the best the parts. Was even necessary at this point. Okay, well, uh, I will agree there because the payoff with Two Face and especially him being the finishing final villain was was really ridiculous. You could have done the Joker last instead it of Two Face. Like studio note to me. It seemed like well, we need two villains. And we got to wrap it up. Well, yeah, no, I yeah, it's definitely a wrap up. Like we got to have two people, sort of thing. And he could have deserved his own movie, but I loved. On its own, that that was one of the driving things for me is that I don't like Bruce Wayne in this. I don't like Christian Bale in this. I have no reflection on Batman and him being a hero. That last ending statement with him and the Joker hanging upside down and him trying to convince Harvey why he's a good person. That kind of is the only Batman in the movie. It's just a psychopath in leather beating up people. And then you've got these, uh, you know, high Tom Clancy octane sequences of jumping out of planes, going to China. This kind of stuff. Any of this shit is necessary. It's telling a story about Batman. Yeah. Well, you get finally at that ending, you know, his statement, his speech about freedom and representing the people. and, and, And look, you just defined Gotham City tonight. These people didn't blow each other up. You're the loser. You're the joke. You're alone. That's what Batman is. You gave us that one tiny glimpse of not just the comic book hero, but what he stood for. And like you bring up the rules of horror movies with Scream, it's referenced the rules of Batman in The Dark Knight that he does not kill. Batman will not kill his enemies. And the Joker uses that against him constantly. But how many fucking deaths in this movie? Every single person that dies is because of Batman. It's not even the Joker's fault. Even if he directly killed them, it's because Batman, what, is kind of a pussy? I kind of think he's a pussy. I don't know. I don't know. Like, and the people who, like, they said the Christopher Nolan Batman films are, like, some of their favorite films of all time. Like, I've heard they're like, good. Just talk about other films, and then when they, like, talk about other films like, that they didn't like, what they start nitpicking is, well, that's not realistic. It's like, who gives a fuck? The fact that you made Batman realistic is, like, a dumbass idea. Here's where the false... This. Why would you pick this apart and say it's not real? Who cares? It's, it's Is it realistic in the frames of the context of the story we're telling with this film? It doesn't all have to be black and white. And I think that's a lot of what people like about these, this series of Batman films is it's very black and white. And it doesn't need to be at all. I think it makes it boring. I think it makes Batman as a character a boring character. Well, that's where the, the faults of realism come into play because you've got all these hardcore realistic ideas and fights and character emotion and trauma going on and then Batman gets picked up off a Chinese building by a plane randomly because they're flying low under radar after they introduced it for two seconds. You get these concepts delivered and thrown at you and just 
stupid short signets like fucking Batman goes to visit Lucius Fox and it's them standing in a big white room. Well, I don't know. I think I need better armor. And they go like almost Power Rangers. Like, here's your level up. Here's your new piece. Here's this and that. Like you're uh, I don't know. It feels like a first person video game that you're the Batman essentially going through your upgrades and your new levels and your saving points. And it just feels like uh, an, an empty kind of uh, every, everything about Batman, everything about That's the story term. of Batman feels very empty. Everything about the Joker, the rest of the story was absolutely fantastic. There's a scene that, that actually hit me. And made me almost like cringe and and just because it was so beautiful. The scene where Heath Ledger is just hanging out of the car and his blowing hair in the wind and he's just absolutely the Joker. That was an insane just two second piece of beauty. This movie has absolutely great shots. It looks fucking fantastic. Some of these scenes are so pretty they just make me cringe because it's a Batman movie. And it's not because it's a Batman movie. It's because there's no fucking Batman in the movie. When did Joker as a character switch over from being this like a, a, a sociopath who likes to have fun to just being a total and utter psychopath to where he's just like I mean he has a point but it doesn't he's have not a- even like kidding he doesn't even like like pull jokes in like any modern iteration if you go to that Suicide Squad movie it's like he's just too hard for words man he's just crazy it's like well he's also kind of funny he also tells jokes. I don't it's know. not I all thought, just being crazy. It's not all just violent fucking, like, you know, nihilism. I thought there was a, a, a bit of cleverness layered with the jokes. That, like, you have the disappearing pen scene or pencil scene where he pops it into the guy's eyes. That's and, Joker. That's a Joker yeah. scene, but it needed more of that kind of stuff in it. Well, you know, you've got the, the dressing up as the nurse and the whole clicking of the exploder, the, the detonator, and it not working, and then just jumping onto the bus. There's a lot of just, you know, even... um. I guess it's toward the end of the movie, more or less than anything that I think the Joker's really displayed because you've got that whole sequence with him and Batman, even going to the party with, yeah, you've got that whole sequence with him and Batman. That's the whole movie. I'm sorry. That was a stupid thing to say. Like at the party when he finally comes in to come after Harvey and Rachel and it's the, well, that's his main squeeze. And he consistently tells a different story about his scars, applying the realism that was applied with the Joker he was humorous enough. I mean, you either want Cesar Romero or Jack Nicholson, and I think you've got a middle ground with Heath Ledger that is, is a fine performance. I don't know. It's like James Dean. You've got three major performances of his career, and most of them were absolutely overacted. His final feat with Giant had Liz Taylor and Rock Hudson in it. So when you're competing against a queen the size of Rock Hudson, your overacting is somewhat small. And Rebel Without a Cause came out after Dean had died, about a month after he had died. He is laid in stone as one of the most successful, famous, greatest Hollywood careers of all time. And um, when you watch his movies, he's eh, he did his job, whatever. Uh, it's kind of the same with Heath Ledger. You've got a Knight's Tale, 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, Dr. Whatchamacallit's exciting whatchamacallit and the Dark Knight. This probably is the most wholesome real performance, I think, out of Heath Ledger. And I think out of anything, it's what's the most overrated out of the movie. It's adequate. It's good. It is a guy playing the Joker, though. It is the Joker. And I don't mean to say that in a condescending manner that the Joker's not a serious fucking thing, but it's a guy playing Cesar Romero. I think he plays a fine Joker. I just I think costuming and makeup failed him. 
I, I, I like think the most suit. of the costume and makeup was his idea anyway. And I was like, dude, you should have let them do something else because you put it into so. I just think like with the Dark Knight, you put it into so much reality, it ends up being boring. I think that most of what happens in the film, again, is a lot like Terminator Two, it ends up being very set PC. And until we get to sort of the end, do we really kind of get completion on the story of like really what's like what we've been trying to tell this entire time as opposed to just kind of doling it out through it. I think a lot of it is just like it ends up being there's an armored car chase because we got to catch the Joker. We're going to do this whole set piece through uh, the streets it of Chicago. It goes into Terminator 2 style territory really toward the end. I mean, all those car chases, all the explosions, it's just filling it with it's these unnecessary stuff. You don't need those kind of major set pieces in a Batman. If you need some... But I think we've learned from stuff like Batman versus Superman and Justice League. When you have all this Batman technology with on display with CGI of all these different crafts that he can have and cars and all this, it's like who gives a shit? Well, he, some of the realism crawler in Justice League for Christ's sake is a giant crab. I mean, despite having a fault with realism, there's some of it that's presented adequately, like. Bruce Wayne going to Lucius Fox, which I did complain about earlier, and there's just these dumb sequences of I need this, I need this. You know, it's almost like a, a 60s spy TV show of, you know, I need an upgrade or whatever. Again, like a first-person shooter video game. You get a save, you go to wherever to get your upgrades, or even like those cell phone sniper games. You have to constantly upgrade something. The movie just feels like Batman has to go upgrade, and then it's a, an action sequence, like you're getting to a boss level. And I think that's what it really appealed to and why it was shot the way it was, to to look like a video game, to feel like a video game. And it is essentially a first-person well, shooter. I mean, even when Batman gets into the Bat-bike, you're almost at a first-person angle just driving just along that, with them. that video game wasn't Call of Duty, where we're just like, let's do kind of a stark reality thing, or Rainbow Six, or any of that shit. Nah, fuck that. Give me a little fantasy with it. And there's just not enough fantasy in the like in the Christopher Nolan series. There needs I, to be an aspect that is make believe because it's a guy that at his core dresses like a bat and has a bondage fetish and beats up guys that dress like clowns. And there's a fucking penguin. One of the guys is a penguin. Another villain just asks questions to people. It's a fucking faffy, weird universe. So you have to have some believability and you make it so realistic. I can't believe that this is happening. It just doesn't seem real. It just seems good. like <clears throat> with Batman Begins, I thought, what an interesting way to take the story. It's the beginning of Batman and all this technology looks pretty low tech. Like he's driving this weird tank thing. But in the next Batman movie, like we'll get more into like, you know, Tim Burton-esque Batman where Batman's become this. Well, they tried to explain it. And they didn't do that at all. They didn't do anything like that. They just kept him in the fucking ugly tank. Well, I mean, they try to explain it because you've got that whole subplot with the uh, employee for Gotham Enterprise or whatever the fuck it's called, Wayne Enterprise, rather, that has found the, the loopholes with Lucius Fox and the science department and the blueprints for the Batmobile. And then he becomes a hostage for the Joker and all this. They try really, really hard. And it's all these like elaborate layers of more and more realism that it gets to a point that you get kind of snapping like it, it's Batman. You want to make this so goddamn real, but it's still Batman. Give me something at least Batman. Make Give me some fog machines or something. Give me an actual bat in a movie. I don't care. But instead, Batman has super sonar. 
like a bat. No, no, it's like a submarine. Huh? Oh, I get the joke. It's fine. But you're like laughing in my face at this point. Is it so far out of the realm of possibility that Joker can have like a, a giant jack in the box that fucking spews acid? Or like, I'm not saying it has to be that goofy, but can we go in a little bit in that direction? More He's than a Joker tags. More than just like he's a fucking psychopath, like dude who know he knows who he is, and his face is all like torn up, and he's had it real hard. He's he's this crazy dude, and he's just he's just too hard for this world. It's like, yeah, he's he's kind of fun. Joker's kind of a fun character, and you've sucked all the fun out of him and just made him a degenerate psychopath without I any like redeeming qualities, particularly. At its core, I mean, obviously, he's supposed to be a representation of society as a collective, as a whole, and this, you know, anarchistic belief that people have that through chaos, uh, things are defining and perfect. And that's always a, a point of life. You know, that's like what Nietzsche wrote about uh, comparing to like Schopenhauer of uh, life doesn't matter. Everything is pointless. It's just a dark room. It just comes off like this angry Morrissey fan just bitching you know I understand what he comes from I understand where he comes from and I really believed in it when I was 16 some people just want to watch the world burn yeah I guess it would be fun but I also just want to be able to go to the gas station and get some cigarettes and buy some fake fucking heroin in the form of kratom and then go nod off at my desk watching the dark night because that's what society is yeah i'm just more than anything i'm just not fascinated by the worldview of that series of movies specifically the dark night and I, the only reason i, 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 I don't think there is a worldview i think it's so realistic because it's a, a lack of a worldview there's no creation there's no exploration there's no universe there's no expanding that's on batman a series of movies about by a person who gives two shits about comic books he doesn't like comic books he doesn't like the fun that is also inherent in comic books. Like, why didn't you just make a Punisher movie? Because that's obviously what you wanted. But don't put a skull on him because that'd be, that's not realistic. I like the fact that there's, it's so fucking realistic and we have to explain away. All, it's just like, I don't care. And the reason I pick so much on The Dark Knight when it's really this series as a whole is because people flip their shit over The Dark Knight still. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. I'm like, I just don't think so. I, it does not have that much. I've watched it twice in my life, and I'm probably will never watch it again because I find it rather long, tedious, and boring at times. If I really care to watch, like, I'll watch a like a Heath Ledger um, fucking clip, fucking compilation on YouTube. If I have a hard on for a couple of scenes from like The Dark Knight, because other than that, it's it's just it's just a bland fucking. It, like I think Tom Clancy might be the best. Uh, best little metaphor you used hang because that's what it fucking feels like it feels like a jack ryan book almost how jack ryan defeated the psycho clown guy and it's not one of the good ones it's like one of those weird ones where jack ryan becomes president that tom clancy wrote in the mid 2000s that's 982 pages and it didn't need to be that long what i will say is somewhat intriguing is it's an unnecessarily long movie but it is captivating despite its length that something is constantly going on that interweaves throughout the plot but it is too much there's an unnecessary amount of shit for batman like i understand making a point for this character but now seeing the way that the series was handled and the third and final movie you spent so much time giving me all the story and this background and and who batman is 
Yeah, well, you you just delivered all this emotion of why Batman is the way he is and what he believes in and the stressful back and forth between the Joker, Harvey Dent, Rachel and Bruce Wayne. And you give me all of this hardcore, hardcore emotion. And then you go into the next movie and it's gone. We're going back to the first movie. We're going to ignore the second one. It doesn't matter anymore. And it's just why? Why even bother delivering to the point that you delivered and if you weren't going to do anything in the long run? And this takes us back to somebody like George Romero, who, with Day of the Dead, had this massive, insane idea, this $8 million, $9 million idea, and he cut it down and he made a $3 million movie that was twice as better as his initial idea because that's, that's writing. That's what you have to do. Cut yourself down to size. Even if it has to be an egotistical thing, and I don't think this was the matter with The Dark Knight. I don't think anybody's ego was cut down or it was a matter of cutting down egos. I think it should have been. If this had been treated like a normal movie instead of a a huge mass-produced Batman, everyone's going to see this million, trillion, fucking dollar, whatever picture, it should have been cut down to size. It could have been a 90-minute movie and still had the same heart and soul. Yeah. So the Dark Knight, uh, we're rating it. What do you get? It's a four. Yeah. So far, we're uh, we're agreeing with absolutely everything. Now we come into the last pocket of the night from 2013, The Conjuring by James Wan. It's about haunted houses. It's Amityville and The Exorcist, and they well, match them together. We were talking about this earlier. It seems like you have more of a problem with the Warrens as themselves in this film's representation of the Warrens. No, I they, rewatched. They are the noted fucking shot. Like you know, they're, they're like they're they fucking uh, shysters. Uh, yeah, they're culturally appropriate, but <laughs> oh, since you said it, I'll say it just to back you up. Shysters. It doesn't really matter. I think they were certainly liars. Um, a lot of those things don't matter. I guess when I first watched the movie, I missed some stuff. I rewatched this for the first time since it came out. And they do shed a lot of light on things. Before the exorcism scene, it's even brought up that Ed has no right to be doing this. Um, so the Warrens like to claim, and it's claimed at the beginning of the movie, that Ed and Lorraine were the only people given rights by the Catholic Church and the Vatican to perform exorcisms. It's all faff. Sometimes, like, and you've brought this up before, I've brought this up before, the realism is important, but if you're making a movie based on something realistic or you're making a true story into a movie, you should probably stick to the actual true story. A lot of times people embellish or rewrite things. You have a problem with uh, the new Quentin Tarantino movie and his absolute changing of history and, and because he wanted it that way because that's what he remembered of the 1960s. The Conjuring has a, a good beginning, middle, and an end. It delivers a purpose. The characters of Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, if you haven't picked up, are real people. They were paranormal specialists who investigated Amityville, the crazy little doll, which is a spinoff from this movie. And one of my problems with this, because I feel The Conjuring itself was made to be a massive spinning ball of movies. They knew right off the bat that they could do spinoffs right off from everything. And it just waters down the product. I know you're trying to sell me something at this point and make me hooked. It's making me not feel there's any integrity or a, a message or story behind this. And in the long run, it's a story of family sticking together and hope. You've got your typical haunted house, like I said, Amityville Exorcist mixed together. A lot of good visuals. A lot of jump scares, which I don't like, and I think are cheap cop-outs. Overall, a good performance from everyone. I really, really like Patrick Wilson, and I really, really like Vera Farminga. I know you got into... Yes, she is a... 
Very, very attractive woman. You got into Bates Motel recently, and I think that is one of her most stunning performances as Norma Bates. But this is a really, I mean, you've got like The Departed, which is fucking, it's The Departed. Come on, she's great. This was fun. This was a different feeling. It's not a character she usually plays. She almost feels And if you defenseless. know what the rewards really look at, wow, way to Hollywood up them with Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. She was like... She, how old or like how tall was she? Like five foot two, and weighed like two hundred pounds, and always had a bun in her hair, and like Ed. She looked a little a bit like tubby. Zelda Rubinstein. Yeah, from, yeah. Like the, well, they really, what I really like them though, up. Well, Vera usually plays such a badass. She always plays the strongest character, and she has some weaknesses in this movie, and it's fun. Like, everyone's performance is is pretty enjoyable. Like, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with the movie. I really like Lily Taylor. I think even, like, the Haunting remake was a really fun uh, just change, and it was mostly her performance. She always has that, um... Very fragile and broken look. Yeah, she's like a deer that you know you're going to hit and you're tr- you end up swerving and hitting a fucking tree because you don't want to hit this deer. And it works. Everything about this movie works, but it's just jump scares. It's mass produced horror. James Wan is a beyond adequate guy. Anything that he puts his hands into and that he does will be moderately successful. It'll make a couple million dollars and it'll sell. That's the problem. You just gave nothing like Ron Livingston is in this movie. I fucking love that's a big issue Ron Livingston made office space he is a talent on his own and what's funny is he's a talent playing bland white guy and that's what he's playing in this movie and it's to the point that everyone's just bland white people I don't everyone looks the same they all have the same haircut and it's one of those things too don't forget the movie's 1971. Listen to the soundtrack. Hear the music. It's 1971. Look at the old car. It's 1971. Check out the bell bottoms. It's 1971. Don't forget it's 1971 because we got this song that was really popular. It's the zombies. It's 1971. The movie's just driven on this. Remember? Remember when? Remember? It's old. It's scary. Amityville. Woo! It's a cop out. What I will say about The Conjuring is as a script. As a written piece of material, it is not great. It is pretty lackluster. But what James Wan is able to accomplish with not much of a script, just through technical aspects, I think James Wan is getting to be a master of being able to technically make a horror film. To like break it down to almost well, not even just a horror film. I mean, he's done Fast and Furious movies. He's done a lot. I'm he's very like, his Fast and the Furious movie wasn't that good. But I'm like specifically with horror, he knows the mechanics of horror like the back of his hand. He knows when to put. He knows how to build the tension. He knows when to pay the tension off, when not to pay it off, um, when to um, give explanation to your story, when to leave it vague. Um, he knows what he wants out of his actors and just the way to shoot everything now as far as the story goes i don't think that even particularly matters like mattered to him as a director with this film i mean what is the story there's there's nothing really here but bare bones whatever well it's absolute bare bones and it starts the same way every ghost story starts people move into a house they don't know where they got it from they somehow get into the basement and there's something spooky going on. If it's not the attic, it's the basement. If it's not the basement, it's the attic. And then it delivers from that point until the Warrens are involved. With They're shown. The movie starts with them investigating the Annabelle case. And all these things are debatably real. 
I'm not debating the paranormal or demonology or whatever, but all of these things, this movie is based on a true story. There are people still to this day that, you know, the, the family's still alive. The house still exists. The people that currently own the house say it's haunted. There's a lot of differences. There's a lot of factual differences. This like takes us back to something we talked about earlier. If you're going to make a movie based on facts, you have to keep it kind of real. But I mean, My name is Dolomite does not keep every. Um, I mean, the, the surviving family, like the, the, the Perone family, they they say, you know, it's a Hollywood movie, but this is pretty close to what happened that they imagined a lot of stuff. They took a lot of liberties, but this is pretty close to what happened. So you have the surviving people who, you know, unlike Amityville, obviously were faking it, which I, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but that was a farce if there ever was one. Uh, I don't even know. I don't know enough about Amityville, nor do I give a fuck. Okay, you had a bunch of flies. Okay, like you went crazy. I got, but it's hey, like it's not hey, like here's Here, here's one hundred percent the issue and what happened. This family bought a house that they couldn't afford, and they couldn't do anything about it. So they came up with a story and they based it on the family beforehand, the DeFeos and the atrocious murders that happened. Unfortunately, because a unmedicated schizophrenic uh, was abused, essentially. Well, why didn't the children wake up when he started shooting? Because he fucking shot them with a, he killed. <laughs> they they died. That's why he shot. They died in their bed like they they looked like they did. We were asleep when he killed them all. A ghost <laughs> held them down. Ooh, no. Unfortunately, it was mental illness and abuse that played part into that, and then a family that couldn't afford what was going on. But gosh darn, if that James Brolin movie isn't spooky. What works is a lot of the influence from things like The Exorcist and Amityville Horror that play into The Conjuring because, like, you have a scene toward the end of the movie with um, an exorcism and levitation, and, like, you can't really do that. It's been done before. But somehow The Conjuring gave it a fresh twist and made it a little bit different. It wasn't as offensive, like, okay, you're doing the exact same things here. You've got the whispering. I think the flies are left out, but constantly it's brought up to the movie that there's a a repulsive smell of rotting meat. All the same tricks that are pulled out of the bag. So, like, going back to Wes Craven with Scream, using these contrived same things. The Conjuring manages to throw it at you. He does it so well, though. That's Yeah, it's not... He's it's like, not offensive. He, it's not like you're laughing at me like, oh, it's the same stuff I uh, not I use the same stuff that's been used before. He took this subject matter and he gave it, you know, a little fluff. He he flipped it on the grill. He made it a little spicy. Well, because if you compare this to, say, um, Aquaman that James Wan directed, like it's not that Aquaman is just it's a terrible script. I mean, it's God, a how much money does James movie have uh, at this point? I don't know. I mean. He's, I guess, it's making Aquaman too, which I thought was. I had no like, clue that was him. I, I yeah, mean, it's James happy trash. It's mostly there. a trash film, but like to go to something like The Conjuring and see how he's able to take the mechanics of filmmaking and really make that work. The Conjuring is something I would show to somebody to like actually teach them something about creating suspense in film. This is how you do it. It's not all cat scares, it's not all jump scares. I mean, you're going to have to have some jump scares just for the way the climate is now with horror, but when to pay it off and how to pay it off is what's important. And he has that in spades like every time. And most like, I think insidious is not a great movie, but it has some really great scenes in it. A lot of people don't like guys like James Wan because they think they're studio guns and soulless. And it's kind of funny because a lot of like the beloved Italian horror guys were just 
hired guns and studio yeah. directors. Like Fulci didn't really enjoy what he was doing, yeah, but he did it. Yeah, I that's would compare Wan to someone like Fulci. Fulci absolutely mechanics of a horror film, and James Wan, same thing. And like, if think, you handed Lucio Fulci something other than a horror movie, he made some fantastic westerns. In the '80s, his career kind of spiraled out of control, but like in his prime and his gold throughout the 1970s, he could handle and take everything and make a pretty adequate movie. If he had been handed something like a, a high-paced action movie, which really wasn't a picture of the time, like Mad Max really did define. An era of car chases, explosions, cars flipping, gun battles. It was a, a magnanimous piece of its era. Before that, action movies were like, like the Magnificent Seven or the Popeye Doyle series. I, uh, I can't remember what that's called. The the movie French Connection. The French Connection. Uh, you know, there was races. There were fun things. There was a Steve McQueen bullet. But action movies were nowhere near the level that they reached going into the eighties with things like Mad Max, Rambo, uh, first blood, rather things completely changed on that spectrum. So guys like Fulci and James Wan are pretty much interconnected. Like if you look at who they were and what they did and what they represented, Fulci was a gun. You just hired him and you got the work done. He specifically was good at gore effects. So he got hired to do horror. I mean, he knew how to shoot horror really well. I think out of all of Fulci's movies, the horror stuff is what, He's known for not so much of because it was so gory and all this other stuff. It's just the way he shot horror was unlike like any other Italian director at that time. And the way he shot the gore, um, if you go to some of his other stuff, he wasn't as skilled. at. And I kind of feel the same way about James Wan. He can get an action movie done. He can deliver them a product. But what really resonates with me is all of his horror work because he just knows what he's doing with horror. He just knows how to pace them. Even Saw. I mean, we have talked a lot of Saw, Dead Silence, all of these things actually have, like, out of all the entire series, Saw has a lot of heart. Saw has a lot of balls behind it. The rest of the series panders to what was offered in that first movie. But, I mean, uh, just pulling up, so directing... In 2022, Aquaman 2 is announced, but under his belt right now, James Wan producing has announced a Tommyknockers remake, or I guess it would oh, be a remake. Oh, dear God. No. So oh, Tommyknockers, no. The Nun Part 2, Dylan Dog, and the Mortal Kombat. I, I don't know if it's going to be a remake. I guess it's going to be a remake. It doesn't matter. It's a video game movie, so. It's a remake. It's just it's an IP. I, like again, The Conjuring. It's a four for me. It's not perfect by any means, but it's a really solid horror film. Um, overrated, I think at the time, most definitely. Like as much money as it made, the fact I that think it's, these sequels is going to make definitely like overrated. Well, you um, but I think right now people are forgetting jokes. about it again. Well, I don't even think forgetting about it, but uh, maybe like rediscovering it. And you brought this up with the Devil's Rejects that it was possibly overrated at its time of release, but now has become, and like Black Swan 2, kind of just part of culture. This, I, I'll give you that. Uh, the other two, I don't really see it fairly, but uh, on this aspect, I enjoy it. I like what I watched. It's not a bad movie. It just is cheap. It's cheap scares and what defines oh, to me... No substance. Yeah, there's... Uh, not everything is pornography. Not everything is cheap. Not everything is just putting out a product. Not everything is just making something. I mean, like horror house on highway five that has no meaning, but at the same time, it's got like this, this crazy backstory of why they went to make it, why they tried to make it. And it's just this odd standing piece of 
horror history. Something like this, on the other hand, was to sell popcorn. Like, this movie was made to sell fucking popcorn. Yeah, and that's what it did, and it made money, and then they have the franchise now that equals out to about, like, what's... How many? There's The Conjuring, there's The Conjuring 2, there's three Annabelle movies, there's a, The Nun. None. Um, the Nun 2, which will make seven. So there's six currently, a seventh on the way. They said they're going to make a Crooked Man movie, so that would be number eight, even though that wouldn't make any sense. In Who's the Crooked Man? It's in The Conjuring 2. It's a manifestation of uh, like a, a nursery rhyme that the ghost takes, but I don't know why it would continue on to any other film because it's just literally a manifestation of a kid's drawing almost. And then um, how many Insidious movies do we have? Because that's also connected somewhat. I mean, no, Patrick Wilson's the production connect- company. Well, they're not well, connected. They're connected spiritually. They're not connected to the actual movie. Same but. production company. or Well, no, it's not the same studio, but it's the same James Wan's production company um and it's patrick wilson so because like lee winnell i think did insidious i don't know if he did two or no i think he did three i think james one did the first two then he did three and then four part three goes back before the first ones and then there's the fourth one and then there's a new one isn't there that's gonna come out like the last key did not do very well so i don't know how much longer the insidious series will continue have they ever explained who darth maul is have they ever Who's given us that? Well, yeah, I know that. Yeah, but who is he? I mean, what demon is he? I mean, they give these elaborate backstories to the, the guy that cut his dick off. But watch the rest of the fucking movies, dude. And they'll tell. I mean, they can tell you a little bit. That's why we do these shows, so I don't have to watch it. I can just hear about the beans that the you spill. They'll tell you. Oh, I'm sure there is an insidious Wikipedia and insidiopedia, probably. Insidiouspedia. All in all, I don't think we uh, were really that bad. I don't think there was a lot of negativity on the show. No, I mean, we had some fair assessments. Natural flaws into movies that people like considered demigods and are unapproachable to criticism. But I think almost all movies are approachable to criticism. I mean, you might defend some of the things that you find that somebody else is taking out of context or is not correct about. But all in all, we're just picking at things that don't resonate with us as film critics. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a good movie, but I mean, a lot like of them I, do resonate. I mean, I, I feel some, I had a room connection to like Batman. I feel some connection to like scream. I understand the concepts and who some of these characters are. A lot of these movies I, I really enjoy a lot of these movies. I have, Connections too with memories and fun times like the devil's rejects and partying and enjoying life with friends. I, I love quoting the movie Tutti fucking fruity. We all say it. It's all just a part of us at this point now, but there's just flaws and it's not shitting oh, yeah. on them. It's just, you know, picking splinters. The whole point, like, I mean, a good portion of this. I once had a roommate who watched the dark night three or four times a month. I mean, he had other problems outside of that, but I mean, he would watch it three or four times a month. He also watched Beaches every night. And bringing back the Beaches joke. But And he would just, it's such a good movie. And I would talk to him about it. And I was like, well, I mean, this is this and this. He's like, I I don't know what you're even talking about. That's just stupid. This, I mean, it's such a good movie. I'm like, look how badass the Joker is. And he had, like, he couldn't back up what he liked so much about the movie other than he thought the Joker was super fucking badass. And that's it. Is it awesome to have Batman as a realistic character? Not really. It makes him a little bit more bland to me, actually. This whole thing's kind of bland. Out of every character in the movie, it baffles me that people connect so much to the Joker to where Harvey Dent 
at least is all spectrums of human. He is he is grieve. He is hate. He is lust. He is absolutely everything wrapped into one. It's a broken man who from the start knew he was losing. The second yes. he knew he was competing against Bruce Wayne, he just knew it was an uphill fight. Harvey Dent is just the greatest example of, of, what is of the, the struggle of human nature. The, what the is Joker the is the opposition. The Joker is this uh, what do you think Nietzsche fucking aspect. The character of the Joker. Because people want Tyler Durden. They want to be something they're not. They want to be a fire. It's they want to be a bulletproof. Because he's not bulletproof. He gets caught. The point no, 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 no. is they I want to be uh, – people want to be a fire in their own society. People want to stand for something and be nothing. They want to be this loner that yes. saves the day, and it essentially is a, an empty bravado. I don't literally mean bravado. he's bulletproof. What I mean is the Joker, nothing you can take away from him because he's at this he's level to lose. of – he has got nothing to lose, and you can't take any – he's so goddamn powerful. But the thing is – can't the, defeat him because he wants you to kill him. It's so fucking badass. It's he doesn't. Like, he doesn't want you to kill him. He doesn't care if you kill him. He doesn't care about life and death. People that are suicidal and and go into these hardcore missions they can't of, break the Joker's heart more than well. There are, there are That's two the spectrums. Point of it. You've got these people that are hardcore destructive and suicidal and hate themselves and they hate their lives and they identify with the Joker and they identify with this character because they want to be this destructive force as to where that's not what was represented or what he is. Oh, no. He is literally an agent of chaos, as Heath Ledger says, uh, with fucking it's Harvey Dent. It's what out of it that I think is ridiculous. But it's the broken people that take things out of it that don't recognize that this isn't a positive example of what the future is. And the example of that is shown with the, the two boats not blowing themselves up. You've got an awesome scene with tiny Tony Lister who steps up to the guard on his boat and takes the, the charge out of his hand and throws it out of the window that he's supposed to be this hardened awful criminal and he's the one that kind of breaks the tension and saves the day with the humanity out of absolutely everything that's the message that you needed to pick up with the dark knight that there is a hope that there is an okay tomorrow that there is redeemability from wrong or right not everyone is the joker an agent of chaos is not the future of tomorrow an agent of chaos is death and that's he, he literally came on a white horse that's what the movie's about it's the presentation of, you know, the apocalypse, revelations, death. He is the destruction and the downfall of society. It's not this mental illness awareness that's the new Joker. It's not the Dark Knight. It's chaos. It's Tom Lister. Tiny Tony, Tony. Lister? Not Tony. It's, not Tony. it's Tom Lister. Tiny Tom Lister. I'm pretty sure it's Tom. It's either Tom or Tim. It's not Tony. I know it's not Tony. Look it up, motherfucker. We're Look going to up. Google. Oh, we got it. It's definitely not Tony, though. You got to fill the gap. You can't just stop. Oh, Google has well, to so what you're basically saying is Zeus saved the day. He did. He, he literally saved the day. He took the explosive out of the captain's hand, and he was the only person to bring peace. On the other ship of civilians, of normal people, normies, quote-unquote, they're arguing and taking a tally. They're criminals. They don't deserve their life. They don't deserve redemption. They chose to murder and steal. They decided to be this way, so fuck them. Let's kill them. Tiny. You ready for it? Yep. Thomas Lister. Boom, baby, Boom. Hey, I had the T. I had the T. I will you had give the tiny. You had the Lister. You just didn't have the Tom. 
It is. It is Thomas Lister, tiny Thomas Lister, born. He's been uh, it's a thousand things, though. He's yeah. been tiny Lister. He's been uh, tiny Zeus Lister. He's been so many different goddamn names in movies. Born in 1958, he could kick all of our asses right now. Tiny Lister, you probably remember him best as Debo in Friday. I don't even remember what is that now. I was I was ranting. I was talking about the humanization of all these characters and Harvey Dent and and okay, uh, we're back to Tiny Tom <laughs> Lister. That was one of the like most pristine and, and pretty parts of the movie for me, though, is that you have this representation and that's the whole point. This is what could have been wrapped up in like fucking an hour instead of this giant two hour piece. The Joker decides that he will have the power over these two boats and that they have to decide one or the other blows themselves up or he blows them both up at midnight. And then it comes into this final fight with Batman and it's the normal people that are arguing and that are angry. They're criminals. They don't matter. They don't have redeemability, but it's in the sense that the criminals throw the charge out of the boat and they ignore it. That's defeating what the Joker stood for. And that's the message of the movie. That's the only hope of actual Batman or where the realism pays off because the message and the lesson of Batman is a person that the Batman doesn't kill. The Batman solves the Batman is an infinite key of justice. And you have two hours of none of that. They just got to this thing where that dude's awesome and no one's going to be able to hurt his feelings. But no one says that dude's awesome. It's not about Batman. It's about no, the Joker. I'm about, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Joker, yeah. no one hurts the Joker's feelings and that's why I love him. But it's not about so why powerful. he doesn't... The, the focus and the point should be why he doesn't have feelings. He it is you. Be, but it's just a lot of people don't. They focus on the other fucking aspects where it's just like, good God. I mean, he's Joe Citizen. He's every person in America. He's the abused, the hurt, the immigrants, the migrants, the people that we say come from shithole countries and we let fight for us, but on Veterans Day deport because they're from shithole countries. He is the representation of the sick, the tired, the poor that is revolting. And like Thomas Jefferson said, the tree of life should be refilled with love, our blood. Every few years, you have to fight against your system. The point of the Joker is this chaotic character you shouldn't be able to relate to he's a force of nature that is your bad day or is your mom dying or is a car wreck or is a piece of force that you can't contend with that you have to somehow deal with or move around it's not something to relate to it's an obstacle and it's an awareness of the evil that is inherent in this world that whether it be humanistic or just environmental there is a a form of evil Number one Halloween costume for men and women the last 10 fucking years, specifically the last three years. It's always been the Joker. Joker and Harley Quinn. And and look at the representations throughout the years of Jack Nicholson's to where we're at now, that we go from this mobster pimp, literally just Jack Nicholson acting it up to a sympathetic, chaotic character that is just this force of nature to a weird juggalo, really abusive relationship dickhead to everybody needs to support mental illness or I'm going to shoot you. (laughs) That's the evolution of the Joker. That's where we're at right now. And, you know, I'm not cutting it short. Todd Phillips made a great picture. Todd Phillips is a great photographer he's a great director it's well written and joaquin phoenix never never fails he's not my preferred phoenix unfortunately river's dead but 
It's a movie. It's a movie. It's, I haven't even seen the movies. Just saw a trailer. No, you have, you you, he it. did a really great fucking performance. You've I can already it. tell you it's a great performance. I've seen this movie 55 times. And so you've seen it 155 times. It's every movie that is about a dramatic loner that wasn't paid attention. It's every here's a man that couldn't take it anymore. And that defines the point of Todd Phillips, the Joker. Here's a man that couldn't take it anymore. Uh, uprise. Class riots. It's just pinning and pointing and pushing people against each other. And the entire message of the movie is don't tolerate bullshit. I get it. I get where you're coming from, but the presentation is lackluster. And again, I've said this beforehand, pulling De Niro into the whole thing just because I don't know. It's just because they literally just pulled him in like we're not ripping off. We got into another 20 minute conversation about Batman after that. We were wrapping up the show for God's sakes. I told you Batman was going to be the, the, the real stickler for tonight's episode that it was going to end up out of all the, the lack of substance out of all the superficial plastic things that we weren't going to go in deep in black Swan. It was going to be Batman. And it's funny that out of all of these things, it's Batman. Hmm. I'm just not a fan of Christopher Nolan's Batman films. I yeah, no, I, I keep rattling tired. on and I'm not doing it in a defense that it's a good or what. I'm not trying to sway your opinion on it. It's just kind of unique in its own sense that this is a Batman movie. This is a DC Comics Batman movie that has just so much depth that can't do anything with it. It's too deep. It, it's just a pool you can't get to the bottom of and you can't get any fulfillment out of something like this. It doesn't even end in a manner of happiness. Oh. Rachel's dead. Harvey Dent's just fucking batshit insane. And no one's happy. No one seems happy. Okay. Batman. Batman. So these were some overrated movies. Three from me. Three from you. We were consistent with our viewpoints on what we discussed. So the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Next week, we're going to talk about beaches. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. DVD has concluded another day of broadcasting. That by DVD is broadcast from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building, transmitting with 1 billion watts of audio power as authorized by the Federal Commission of Broadcasting in offices at 123 Easy Street. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.